Hello, everyone. It looks like we are live on episode number 24 of Fan Fuel. It's going to be about the Atlanta repave and the tweet that broke the sport. Well, maybe. We don't know yet. So uh, when we get into it, um, we'll be talking about that very controversial tweet from our very own Nathan Ball. Uh, but tonight we're joined uh, by Colton Cranmore, as always, and Jared Bakaisa. You saw him a couple episodes ago. And of course, my name is Alex Harrington. Um, welcome to this show. We've got a lot to go through. It might be a little bit of a longer show. Uh, so, guys, before we get into it, I got showed up today. You see everyone in here except for me is wearing a hat. So I have to say that they're all wearing a little bit retro hat, so I had to go dig into my closet. So I'll do that, too. I hate hats, but Ooh. hey, I'll wear mine. Okay, I see. Uh, Mark Martin's okay. um, last ride, number six hat. I like to see Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll join in on the fun. So, got two Roush Ration hats and a JGR hat. And I'm not really sure what what hat are you wearing, Nathan? A Daytona Speedway hat, actually. Okay. Did you just call mine a Roush Racing hat? <laughs> oh. Ah, oh, that is a brilliant really its own hat. It's it? name was, to be quite honest with you. I don't remember it. Like, what? Dude, it was just the like. The whole time until I heard his episode on um, the scene ball. Um, I thought that that was a Roush racing car. And so I went to back to being a little kid and thinking that was a Roush racing car. That was definitely yeah. his own team. So Bill Elliott um, owned Roush. That's what you're saying. Yeah. He, he was definitely driving a Roush car, according to my like three and four year old self. So, I was negative, probably five years old. <laughs> All right. Well, we started off really good. I've already made my first mistake. So get ready to call me out for some more later on. Um, let's get right into it. We had a bunch of racing this weekend in NASCAR. We had three uh, main events. We had some heat races as well. Uh, we got down and dirty with the trucks, but uh, we're going to go ahead and start with Woker Joke. Uh, we're going to have a different little uh, feel to it this week. Um, so we'll go Colton, Jared, Nathan, then myself. Um, so first up, with the trucks being at Knoxville, uh, Woker Joke, they chose to go to Knoxville over Eldora. Fucking Joke. Complete joke. Um, Eldora had, I mean, multiple lanes to race at. It was a very well-prepared track. Um, and then Knoxville, granted, the it's, it's a flatter track than Eldora. Eldora is kind of that high-banked half-mile dirt, um, whereas Knoxville is, I think it's a little bit shorter, but it's super flat. Um, so when you get these heavy trucks just kind of floating around on there, they definitely set in the ruts um, and rubber the track up pretty quick. Um, and that's exactly what we saw was trucks sticking to the bottom, and then you eventually saw guys just running over each other all night. Um, the Knoxville race, I don't think it was terrible. We'll get into that. Um, but over Eldora, I I don't think there's any track I'd take over Eldora in terms of dirt. I'll go against the grain. I'll say Woke just for the fact that they're trying, they're trying to branch out their different areas, going down to Knoxville for a dirt race. I guess it gives that area a little bit of a different view of scenery and at least get to see NASCAR trucks racing rather than having nothing. I mean, it'd be nice for them to go like say at Eldora because that was always like Colton was saying that always has good racing and it's always had a good show out, but it was it was nice to see them go to a different area just to get that area and taste of some NASCAR truck racing. Yeah, it's tough for me, but I'm going to have to go joke just because I think Eldora went, they went pretty well over their races. Like Colton said, there was good racing there even when they weren't wrecking every five laps or whatever, it felt like it was pretty good racing. You could see guys move around. And I wish that I wish Knoxville could find a way to do that a little better. 
because it's probably harder to do it on the flatter surface. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to go joke. Uh, like Colton said, I mean, big, heavy cars uh, don't really produce good races on flat dirt tracks as it is. So we've just done that with with the series that we, we, we take in there that doesn't even race on dirt except for once a okay. year, now twice right. with Bristol. Um, the Bristol race worked because Bristol is high banked. Um, and the Eldora race worked because it is high banked and they know what they're doing. They have had what, five or six years of preparation each year. The race surface got better, um, which provided more, more lanes and better races as we went on. I mean, even back to the first and second races, we saw guys climbing the fence because that's where they had to be. And um, that really wasn't, wasn't indicative of good racing. But as we moved on, we saw better and better races here. Um, having a clean slate on a track that I don't think produces very good late model racing um, with even heavier cars with the trucks. Uh, I just did. I don't see why they thought that it would be um, very good. Um, I'm sure they could do something about it, um, but we'll we'll have to we'll have to play around with formats and how many cars are on track and all kinds of different stuff to get this to actually work. I don't think it's a bad idea to be at Knoxville. But over Eldora, it was a terrible, terrible idea. And it's kind of petty from NASCAR, in my opinion, uh, to not go back to Eldora. <clears throat> Next up is the format of the heat races. Um, and that was 10 trucks. You get a point for position. Um, you finish. That's one point for last, 10 points for first. And as many cars that you um, pass, you get additional points. And that's how they set the field for the feature. Uh, so work or joke on the heat race and its formats. Um. I'm going to go joke just because there's no purpose to the heat races. They started all the trucks anyway. There wasn't no knockout. There wasn't a B main and an A main. Um, they basically just qualified in a pack. Um, right. you know, I mean, and, and what it did was it took away, uh, you know, however many laps uh, they raced in the heats away from good track conditions, away from really good racing that we would have seen. Because in the heats, we saw them fan out. We saw multiple grooves. The bottom was working. The top was working. Um, and then... I mean, first 25 laps of the race, after that, the track just kind of set to the bottom. Um, Jared, you did mention that you they brought uh, racing to a new area. Iowa Speedway is like 25 miles from there. Oh, I guess. Okay, yeah, you're right. You're right. But joke. Yep, I'll, I'll agree with Colton on that one. If you're going to have the whole field in the race, like there's absolutely no point in doing that, whereas you could just either make the race a little bit longer or have a – It'd make sense, more sense if they were like eliminating guys and be like, all right, you're done for the night or you're not making the race or something. But it's just a waste of time, honestly, where you could have better racing the whole time rather than heat races that don't really mean anything besides points. Yeah, I, I can't agree with you guys anymore. Um, I don't understand the logic behind it if you're just going to start everyone. Uh, you saw a couple trucks actually not even finish the heat races. Like Nemechek just pulled off and said, yeah, we're done because I think they were in a different truck and they had – a couple laps and like we don't need to take this risk and race if we're already in the show so like like they said there's teams even out there that are seeing the same thing we are yeah i'll uh say this all all of us unanimous joke um having the heats the same day i thought was kind of dumb um because like you said uh the track just got worse and worse over the night um and then of course not eliminating anybody um I also feel like a random draw for the heats was kind of stupid. You had practice times. You could have inverted the field based on that, and that would have made the points matter more because you would have had guys that were ridiculously slow all night start up front, have a chance to get in that feature, 
Uh, we could have we could have saw a fifth 15 lap race for a B main, maybe take the top five out of each race and start at 25 trucks, and it would have been a a good event. I know they don't want to do that because sponsors and all this other stuff. But if you're gonna say all that stuff for sponsoring and everything, then you know, tough diddly. Like, just don't have heat races. Um, I think it was a wasted effort, um, like you guys said, and overall, um, I enjoyed the racing in them, but it was just kind of pointless. Um, so let's move on to the truck race itself. Um, what did you guys think as a whole, the Knoxville truck race, Woker Joe? Um, I'm on the fence because I have to divide this up. Um, I thought the first part of the race was great. Um, even once the bottom started to really become dominant and they, we saw every single truck move down there. Um, I, I liked it until about the last 20, 30 laps. And then it just became a complete shit show. Um, but seeing the bottom dominate so much just reminded me of the old Bristol where you, that was the one lane. Um, you either had to get down there and get in front of someone on the straightaway or you had to move them out of the way. Um, and that's a lot of what we saw in the truck race. But again, it shit the bed last 20 or so laps, and then we just kept having restart after restart after restart. So that really kind of dampered it for me. Yeah, I agree with Colton on that one. I think towards the end, it was just more of a circus with, with playoff points and playoff spots on the line, you know, 40 trucks there. You know, like one of those guys in the back, like, oh, I might just send it into turn one and try to get playoff spots because obviously the truck field doesn't have as many top competitors in there, but they also don't have that many races. So whenever you go to a wild card track, like a track that you've never gone to, you're obviously just going to take as many risks as you can and like may as well send it, you know? Yeah, I would agree. I think the first few parts of the race were really good, but the last 20 laps probably took as much as the entire first half of the race combined. So I just wish that they would have figured something out later in the race because it just the same way you guys said, it just wasn't really compelling toward the end because they would literally go one corner and they would wreck and it would just be – Rinse and repeat until eventually they made it one corner. So, yeah, and um, it was, it was rough. That really, really was rough. The last what hour or so of, of the broadcast was just start and stop and start and stop and start and stop. And and you know, from an outsider's point of view, that's unacceptable. Um, if I'm tuning in just to watch my first truck race and I'm like, oh well, there's only thirty laps left, and then you know, <laughs> I sit down and I'm still there an hour later. Woohoo, like there's carnage, but I mean, it's not really legitimate at that point. Um, so really as a whole, just because of the finish, I'm going to have to say joke. Like it erased any part of the rest of the race that was good. Um, and with that being said, I mean, we had 40 trucks out on the racetrack and um, we saw pretty much all of them get into an accident at the end. And uh, driver of the number 42 truck for Nice Motorsports is Carson Hosebar. And he... Basically, his quote post-race was essentially that we were making a joke of ourselves and that the dirt community was was going to just sit there and laugh at us because of the carnage that had just ensued. Um, so for Carson Hosevar's general idea of his comment was that we made a joke of ourselves to dirt uh, fans and the rest of the dirt community. Is that a woke or joke statement? That is woke. We made a joke of ourselves, not because of the, the track conditions or because of how we race the track. Um, it's because of how we saw these truck series guys race each other. Um, dirt series guys, they all have a code because, I mean, the cars are mostly open wheel. Um, they tend to flip quite a bit. And so they all have the kind of this 
this code that they race by and they all kind of grew up with it. Um, and you did not see anything of the sort in the truck race. And that's what made it a joke. So woke for Carson Hosovar. Yep. Same on that. Can't, can't disagree with Colton on that. It was just an embarrassment kind of, you know, you're just thir- like you used to saying, Alex, you know, there's 30 laps left. And you're like, Oh, I'm here another hour later just to see this, all these wrecks or whatever. Like no one really wants to watch that. Like a couple's like, okay. But like when it gets to, Lap after lap after lap, it's like, oh, come on, let's get this over with, or how long until they rack, you know, and those types of situations. So, woke on Carson's comments. So, yeah, I would agree. I think that there's no, there was no give and take principle to that type of racing. It's literally just all take, you know. At what point they don't really realize, hey, you know, we got to make it to the finish if you want to win the race. And people are like, no, I want to win the race in turn one with 40 laps left, you know, like that's just. Right. I don't understand it. Um, yeah. It's sad. I think part of it, like you said, is probably down to the win and in system, but it just wasn't a good look for anyone. Yeah. So I'm going to kind of uh, go off script just a little bit here. Um, I know um, that we had talked earlier in the year about um, the dirt race at Bristol and then the Coda race as well being rain shortened. Uh, not, well, yeah, rain shortened, but, you know, just plagued by rain and and NASCAR in both of those due to visibility um, went to single file restarts. Um, So we had said on that, on that show, um, I don't remember which one it was. Maybe it was both of them after both of those races that why don't we just make dirt races and road courses that are raining restarts on single file. I think that that holds bar. And um, I think NASCAR could have done, um, you know, a lot more with this race had we had single file restarts. Um, but with that being said, knowing that we all kind of share that opinion, um, what is something that we could have done to prevented this, you know, at, you know, at, at all, you know, not just with the single file restarts? Um, you know, the single file restarts would have been a, a huge one. Um, another thing that we need to implement, or I think they should implement, um, is, a, is a move to the back rule. Um, at my local short track, if you dump someone or if you get someone's quarter panel, even if they cut you off, if you're involved in the wreck um, or if you're involved at the start of the wreck, you get moved to the back. Um, you do not get to keep your spot in sixth, in tenth or wherever. Um, you get put back of the line. You'll see an official come out just like the Kurt Busch, and they'll tap their bottom real quick and point at you to send you to the back. And so I think that really would have helped us out here because you wouldn't have had the guys that are a dart without feathers up there in 10th, spinning someone out and then causing a huge pile behind them. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, and something people realize with the single file restarts is that the bottom groove was dominant the entire night. So part of it had to do with guys that were restarting on the top. They didn't want to be there. So their first right. instinct wasn't to get moving. It was just to cut down to the bottom whether someone was there or not, they were just going to force their way into a hole that really wasn't big enough for their truck. So I think if they went single file, there'd be a lot less desperation that would get cut out because guys wouldn't, wouldn't literally have to run each other over for one piece of real estate. Yep, I agree with both of those guys. And Colton, I've seen that at my local short track. I actually saw it at the Cars Tour race whenever Corey Heim kind of dumped one of the guys and he just mm-hmm. got, sent to the back, got sent to the back right after that. All the fans were cheering and maybe just take, try to take control of the race at least, you know, that kind of sent a message there towards, because that was like towards like maybe 30 to go or somewhere in that range. So I think all the other drivers got the message like, Oh, we've got to 
kind of got back off a little bit. Don't really want to try to get into someone and get sent to the back. So I think that's something where you just got to try to control the race. You see like a couple instances in a row that are sort of the same thing. I think that's when like race control needs to be, hey, you guys need to settle down here. Just start throwing black flags at people and send them to the back. Yeah, and um, something that we, we do um, is, I mean, I hadn't even, you know, thought of that, even though I've done it before, is sending people to the back. Um, if you've if you've been involved in an accident, but also there's limits. I know these are a lot longer races than your normal 25, 35 lap Saturday night shootout. Um, but we uh, have incident limits as well, like no fault or or fault, depending on the series that's in town and what the racetrack itself's rule is. Um, if you're in three incidents, we put you into the garage. You know, sorry, go go to pits. Uh, we don't want you out here. You're ruining our racetrack, right? So that's something that could be done. Another thing, well, we talked about it with the heats. Um, if we're if we're gonna have heat races, get rid of cars. I think just the fact that there was forty cars on this track, something that doesn't happen very often, if not at all, in dirt racing, is there's usually a maximum of twenty eight cars. Maybe there's some special shows on mile long tracks where you've got more than more than that. But I don't see any reason to have any more than twenty eight cars on a feature in a dirt race. I'll say this for Eldora as well. 40 trucks is just too many cars to be on track. And I think that would have fixed everything. Yeah. And um, something else that yeah, go ahead. came to mind too was, I don't know what um, they talk about in the hollers. All right. You know, and none of us do. If you get called to the holler after the race, we hear it all the time, but it used to be a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. We would always hear in the broadcast, you know, so-and-so got called to the holler. It was kind of like, Oh shit. You know, and now it's just kind of, you know, you see it every other week. Someone will get called to the holler. Right. Next week they're doing the same shit. Um, so I don't know. Mike Hilton probably isn't there for the Knoxville truck race. Um, they need someone in there to really put the fear of God on these guys. So, you know, kind of days of thunder. Like, you aren't going to be stinking up my show. Um, I'll pull your cards apart for 300 laps. And if you get, you know, whatever he says in the movie, um, there needs to be someone in there to put fear of God on these kids. Right. And uh, something else in Carson's tweet was the lack of respect in the series as a whole. And you say uh, that quote about not stinking up my show. Well, they had five overtimes and they didn't get past turn one until the fifth overtime. So that is kind of stinking up the show. So how do we put respect in these drivers? They are all young. I mean, how, how do you discipline a young driver to let them know, hey, um, X is going to happen if you don't this- stop? wrecking this, and all that kind of stuff this one's a tough one for me but I, I i know i'm probably gonna get heat from the 12 year old fans for this but i think a lot of it has to do with the playoff format like they know that back in the day you couldn't have bad days if you wanted to make the chase you had to be top 10 in points or top 12 in points you couldn't afford to have too many bad weekends in a row pile up and now if you're above the top 30 in points or whatever it is you can basically go out there dnf almost every other week. And as long as you win one lucky race, you're in. So it almost, it makes them think that, Hey, it doesn't matter if we crash or not, as long as we win one week, then we're good. So I think, yeah, you made bad days or DNFs actually matter to a point. You probably wouldn't have so many guys that were having the whole, you know, winner crash mentality, because I think you take that away from them you take the ability for them to have a bad day away. And they're probably going to be smarter. Yeah, to teach the respect to the kids, I don't know that there's anything you can do once they get to the NASCAR, the top three tiers mm-hmm. level. Um, that definitely comes from the short tracks, you know, racing super late models and super stocks and everything. Um, but, I mean, to Nate's point, 
without stacking more gimmicks on, the only thing you're going to be able to do is take away some gimmicks. Um, take away that winner in because, you know, if I've already won a race, say I won the second race of the year, um, I'm just going to go out and send the mail every week and try to win everything now. If I finish last, right. so be it until, you know, until the playoff cut. Right. Um, like finishing last needs to mean something. Like it right. needs to have a consequence. Exactly. I think, you know, stacking gimmicks on top of each other, take away playoff points. If you finish below this line and you've got playoff points, guess what? You just lost one of them. You just lost five of them, right? <laughs> um, you know, the, we used to see guys get docked points all the time, and it was a huge, huge deal. Mark Martin lost the title one year because of it. Um, right. You know, if you get into an incident and NASCAR deems it serious enough, take their fucking win away. Or, you know, keep the win in the record book, but take away their playoff berth. Something. Yeah, I think, like you guys said, back then, say if you – the whole point was to have as good of a day as possible every week, and, and if you had – a bad finish or whatever, it would come back and bite you 10 weeks down the line. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it seems like you can blow an engine or whatever after dominating a race. It's like, ah, doesn't matter. We got, we got playoff points. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter until September. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's like, you think about it, you have to figure out a way to make the ability to have a good day matter again. Like, I don't care whether you finish fifth 10 times. It's like that, that should matter just as much as winning once and crashing every other week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with me on that. It's kind of like that thing where it's like those guys don't understand that a eighth place or a sixth place, fifth place finish is actually good because their mentality now is like win and in. So like, all right, I'm just gonna try to send it here and I'm gonna try to win this race. And then if they don't win, they'll be like 25th, and it's just gonna make them race even more aggressive than they need to be. Whereas if they just race clean or whatever, hey, we got a top five. But like you were just saying, that doesn't really mean anything anymore to get a top five. Right. So this might just be a systematic problem from from having the playoffs is what you guys are saying. And I think um, without stepping back and, and, and listening to you guys say that, I would have never thought about it that way. Um, and so I don't know. Maybe, maybe we just need to go back to full season points and make all of us old school fans happy. I'm not sure. Um, that's not going to happen. Um, so NASCAR has kind of put themselves yet – into another box of this is going to just be a new normal that we have to get used to. And, and it, yeah, it has no become that, especially in the youngest series on the schedule. Um, they, they've always talked about how tough the trucks are, how they race aggressively, how they have no rules and this, that, and the other. And um, all we, all we are doing is amplifying it. And, and I think the guys, uh, you, your guys's points are, are all proving to that. Um, and speaking of that win uh, is everything mentality, um, let's move to Saturday on the big track at Atlanta. And that was um, that was a, a monumental race for the series, for the sport. Um, but also we had kind of a dingbat move um, from, from the 47 car of Kyle Weatherman. So Mike Harmon Racing keeping that car out, is that a woke or joke? Um. I'm going to be honest. I didn't see this part of the race. I was doing a whole bunch of stuff on Saturday. Um, I did kind of read up on it. Um, I'm going to say woke. I mean, it got him some TV time. It got him up front. Um, when I did pull on the race, I looked at it and thought, holy shit, the 47 car is doing so good. I even turned to my girlfriend. I was like, do you know who Kyle Weatherman is? Me neither. Like, that's awesome, you know? And then I immediately saw him sail back. But I, I thought it was cool. I'm going to go woke. Yeah, I'll go with that, too. It's kind of like that situation in California when Landon Castle stayed out. And you guys remember that race? Mm-hmm. Completely just oh, ruined yeah. that. <laughs> ruined that whole line, and 
I, I was thinking, I, I don't even remember how old I was, maybe like 14 or 15 or something. Like, oh, Landon Castle's going to be just falls right back to the ends. But uh, yeah, you're right. You know, got some TV time, you know, like, hey, I might get a top 10 out of this. But yeah, I think it's like a, it's a tough thing to kind of toe the line with. Um, I think it's a woke if you do it right. If you're able to kind of just not make a complete fool out of yourself and not either get run over or cause somebody else to get run over, then it's fine. But I think if you know that you're going to be such a sitting duck to where you're probably going to cause a wreck, then it's probably not worth it at that point because you're probably just going to get laughed at by the rest of the garage. And they're going to be like, you know, the top guys are going to be like, Hey, look at this guy. He's a weapon. We need to stay away from him. And I think there's a line with that. And if, if they knew that they weren't going to be able to maintain any sort of pace in the restart, then just it's not worth it. But if they could have, you know, got moving enough to where they weren't going to cause anything, then it would have been okay. But I don't know. I think it's just hard to, to choose. Yeah. I'm going to go with a woke asterisk. So um, I think the move is great. I think the move is great on 99% of the racetracks in the schedule, but Atlanta uh, with sandpaper asphalt is not a good move. Um, I, I think, you know, you saw that with, uh, I want to say, Cole Witt in the Xfinity Series Championship. Oh, yeah. Daniel Suarez won. Everyone booed him for that. Everyone, you know, just trolled him on Twitter and all this other stuff, and everybody was mad, and that's the only reason Daniel Suarez won the championship um, is, is what people say. I don't necessarily agree with that, but um, – when I look at the move, it's not late enough to work at Atlanta um, because of the tire wear. And honestly, he probably, if we were at Texas this week instead of Atlanta, he probably would have just moved from a 20th place position to a 5th place position because tire wear wouldn't have mattered and not that many people would have got around him in the, I want to say it was like five or six laps that were left in the race. Um However, he did have that suspension issue, so we'll never know exactly how much that would have helped himself. Um, I know that crash that uh, when they went back green put him in overtime. So, um, I mean, it was just a lost cause because he had that suspension issue. But like I said, woke asterisk because, you know, it's Atlanta. You don't really have the ability to do that on older tires. I think he had 25 lap older tires or something like that. So, um, staying on Saturday's race, that is um, – going to be yet another loss for Daniel Hemrick. I mean, what can you guys say about um, Kyle Busch and his move going into one? Um, woke or joke? Um, woke on Kyle's move and also woke on Daniel losing another one. <laughs> I've been hard on this train for years that, you know, Daniel got a cup ride before he won a single NASCAR sanctioned race, and he still hasn't won one. Um, sure, he, you know, he made it to the championship four in Xfinity, um, but at some point, you, you got to realize it's it's probably not luck. It's the driver. Um, and I've said for years, I don't think he's aggressive enough to be super, super competitive in NASCAR. Um, and it just continues to prove it. Yeah, he'll get top fives, top tens here and there. Um, but he's not going to be that guy to park it in victory lane. So woke on Kyle's move to get it done. Um, and then woke on Daniel for shit in the bed, I guess. Yeah, I, um, as a Kyle Bush fan, I'm kind of like right in the middle on that situation. Uh, I wasn't – I hated that he wanted like won the race that way by kind of pushing him up the track and causing that wreck. And I'm like, oh, it's Kyle Busch, so he's going to get so much shit on social media for that. And I'm like, oh man, that's that's tough. And then I, I mean, it's also like it's his last Xfinity race, and you know, like at that point, that late in the race, you know, like 
you're racing to win. So you got to do what you got to do. And he was just trying to get him a good push into the turn. And unfortunately that stuff happens. So that's a racing deal. And he even said that on the front stretch interview that he hated it for the other guys, but he got the win and said he's going to be done now. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that it was a hundred percent a mistake by Kyle Busch. There's no, like, there's no question that it was a mistake. The only thing that I will say joke on is that I don't think that loss meant that Daniel Hemrick's a bad race car driver. I think that was purely situational to the point where it was, you know, he had that race pretty much in the bag. He had a good restart. He just, he just got a kind of awkward push and that was it. So I think, and to Colton's point, you know, there are many drivers out there that are very good that did not win a national series race when they went to cup. Um, I think Denny Hamlin's probably the best example of this. He had like one and a half full seasons of Bush up until cup and he did not win a single race for Joe Gibbs. And then he goes out, he wins polls, he wins a shootout, he wins all sorts of things in cup. So I think you but never know. Bad driver. I think, like he said, part of it is just, you know, he's not the perfect driver, but then the other part of it is he doesn't, it's kind of a mixed bag, I would say, right? Like on the days where he's good enough to win, sometimes he's not good enough to win. And then on the few and far between days where they do everything right, they still don't have the luck. So I think it's just, it's a, almost a combination, right? It's like, you just say, never seems to go either. Whenever he's good, the car's not good. Whenever the car's not good, he's not good. And so on and so forth. One of the, one of the best quotes I ever heard was from Brett Griffin. He talked about it with Elliot Sadler when he was sponsored by M&M's in that 38 car. Um, mm-hmm. They sat him down after, you know, kind of a string of bad luck. And it wasn't even yeah. like losing races. Um, it was just kind of really bad luck. And they sat him down and said, I don't know how you lost your last job, but I can tell you how you're going to lose this one. You know, I understand that shit happens, but some people are in shit more than more often than not. But I think Daniel's one of those guys. Right. I don't, and I don't, I don't think it's a knock on him. I think it's just the way things have fallen. You know, sometimes dominoes just don't go the way they're supposed to go. Yeah. And you can, you can say this man has the worst luck in racing and I could probably agree to that. I think it's um, like- but I mean, for me, it, the, the move on him was kind of a joke. Um, Kyle Busch has won now 102 Xfinity races. He's won 200 plus other races. He knows how to drive a car. I guarantee you he knew that he was going to hit him wrong. Um, that, that that man doesn't make very many mistakes. And, you know, I hate to see him win one like that. I'm glad that I did, you know, see him win his last Xfinity race. But, you know, I don't know. It just kills me that Daniel Hammer can't get it done. And the days like Saturday where he had it done, shit happens. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just it's like, yeah, it's like it's upsetting like, to me, man. Right. Like, like you said, sometimes even on the days where the driver does have the skill to get it done, things don't go your way, you know? Like it's he's not the first driver that this has happened to, and he probably won't be the last, you know. It there are so many good drivers out there that just don't have things go their way. He's not the only one. It's like Kyle Busch was making yeah. sure that he would go out with the last win there. Like even at that event, <laughs> kind of pushing the limits a little bit more just to try to get a win. But I, I do want to ask Colton something though. Um, so you're saying uh, what you said about Daniel Hemrick. Well, the same thing could be said about Matt DiBenedetto. So, I mean, which, what, or Ryan Blaney, is right? It, is it just right? Blaney's won races. I I'd agree with the Benedetto. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I so, guess you but, could say the same about Blaney, right? Like he's he's had his share of good fortune in his wins. He's won a race every year, including 2017 to now. Okay, but when he got I mean, the that's, cup, that's, he hadn't that's won fair. Anything. But you could say that he hasn't so even done. You say that if you find yourself in a mess more than another person, then it's their fault. Like I'm pretty sure if you told a Brian Blaney fan that after Texas last year or Vegas last year. Or all the races that he went out absolutely dominated and got pretty much hosed out of by usually no fault of his own, you know, to say that that has something to do with the driver, I'm not, I'm not sure I would go that far. I mean, I'd agree with you, but we find, still find a way to get it done once a year. Alex, you can mute people <laughs> if he's talking over you. Just say "fuck you, dude" and mute him. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I'm not. Ah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe he just broke a lot of mirrors or. Walked under a ladder. He broke a mirror walking under a ladder and kicking a black cat. Like, yeah. yeah, maybe that's what happened. So I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm sure he's a bad driver. I don't. I think he's got talent. I just think he needs. He he's got to figure it out sooner than later. Um, at this point, it's it's becoming a meme. Well, you know, they always say you can't tell us. Uh, uh, you you can tell a fast driver to slow down, but you can't tell a slow driver to go fast. Can't tell. So this might you might. Might be right where we we can't see Daniel Hemrick progress because he doesn't have the oomph needed to go out there and move someone out the way or not be a, a pushover really um, on longer runs when he's in front of someone. Um, I think he drives pretty damn good. I think he is definitely a guy you want in a in a lower tier Cup Series ride because you know what he's going to do if he doesn't get any any bad luck, he's going to bring that car home clean. Um, I mean, that's a big if, though, with Daniel Hemrick and bad luck. I mean, that's like – I remember yeah. Mario Andretti said this quote about one of his teammates. He said something along the lines of, if this guy was an undertaker, people would stop dying. I think that's almost the case with Daniel Hemrick. I just don't think he can buy a break at this point. I don't I don't know that he can. Um, but let's move on. Kyle Busch, 102 wins. We've talked about him enough, so let's talk about his wife, Samantha. She comes on Twitter, basically confirms that he is going to be retired from the Xfinity series. So, Samantha Bush's comments, are they woke or joke? Do we believe them? Uh, I'm going to go woke. I said woke on Kyle Busch retiring once he hits 100, once he hit the 99th earlier this year. Um, I I think he's going to stick to it. I think more time with family now that Brexton's getting older is going to be super important to him. Um, and I think he's got too many people that are going to call him out if he tries to jump in a race for him to really find worth in that. Um, besides, he's got 102 wins. He's got more than double the second-place guy. He's probably going to hold that record for quite a while, if not forever, now that the new rules are in place. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, super, super woke on it. Focus on the Cup Series now. Um, focus on just whooping ass in the trucks um, and go from there. But, yeah, I think, I think family time is going to be a big thing for him. Yep, I'm going to agree with that as a Kyle Busch fan. I think he's going to spend time on Saturdays with the Brexton, just focus on Cup Series Sunday, maybe run a couple truck races on Friday nights and get a couple wins there so I can enjoy Friday nights. But, yeah, I think, like, you've been seeing his, like, social media. He's always, like, trying to push with Brexton or whatever. You're always seeing, like, inside videos of him and why Brexton's races. I think he posted a video or something of him and Brexton again today. So I think that's going to be his Saturdays. And, like you were saying, family time, I think that's going to be more important moving forward and like if samantha posted something about it i think that's pretty legit that he's yeah. probably done yeah i think i go well i don't really i think her saying it is probably a bigger confirmation than him saying it because i think she was probably the one that didn't want him to run the super speedways anymore in the lower series 
And when she said it, he stopped doing it. So if she says it, then he'll probably stop doing it again. So, yep. Happy wife, happy yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, that was exactly yes. what I was going to say. Woke or joke, that's going to be woke because happy wife, happy life indeed. So she's the boss at home. We all know that he might be the boss on the racetrack. But you know what? When wifey says, uh, don't race anymore. You're probably not going to race anymore. Yeah. Um, like you guys said, more time with Brexton. That's a big thing. He started his racing career. Um, we've heard about that on uh, Dale Jr. Download and DBC and stuff like that. We, we've seen it through their Twitter and, and Instagram feeds and stuff like that. We know that he's he's doing his best to be a good dad, and he can't do that if he's at the racetrack three days a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's good, uh, but I will have to say – for his comments post race, that's a joke because he told Rowdy Nation not to he, that they don't have anything to watch. They can go watch something else on Saturdays, and I think that was a terrible take from him. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing. Still right. go out and watch Xfinity. It should be yes. a little bit better without him dominating. Um, I'm kind of on the fence. I'd rather see Cup drivers in there. We've talked about that before, um, but but yeah, stay watching Xfinity. It's going to be great. Uh, stay watching the trucks, even though there's no respect there. Uh, it is what it is. But moving on to Sunday, um, had a long race. Uh, we weren't going 500 miles. We were going 400 miles. This race was the race from Kentucky. This was Quaker State 400, so um, they they kept it 400 miles. I think that was a very good um, idea uh, to do that, to separate those two races. Uh, we still wound up having a longer race because we had a red flag at the middle um, because the asphalt came up. So we'll get into the repaving stuff later, um, but this is a personal thing that I had asked the guys prior to everything. Um, with that red flag, we had a little bit of a break between the, the first two stages and the last stage. Um, would it be woke or joke to have a condensed red flag between the second and final stage every week? Um, I'm gonna, I'm on the fence because I think NASCAR with their gimmicks would feed way into it. I think woke, yeah. if you get rid of that first stage, if you just make it a mm-hmm. two stage race um, and throw, you know, a red flag and make it like a half time or like baseball does the seventh inning stretch, you know, we see intermissions, another sport, we can get a whole bunch of commercials in at once. Right. Um, we can kind of, you know, get up, stretch the legs, go get some drinks, go get some food. Um, I, I wouldn't mind that to be honest with you. Um, when the asphalt started coming up, I turned to Cheyenne and I was like, Hey, this is going to be a while. Like usually when this, when this happens, yeah. it's, a couple hours and they did a really good job making it quick really but i wouldn't quick. mind seeing that every week up oh, <laughs> yeah i'm i'm like kind of a cool i'm literally like with cool. i'm kind of like on the fence that i'd rather than just just race and get it over with or just i know they're not going to get rid of stages or anything or stage cautions or something but i'd rather just the race just go out like just just race that's how i see it just let them go but also like i don't know maybe like a five ten minute break or something and just do like 70 percent of commercials on there so then we have like the final like stretch the race is basically almost caught like commercial free or at least limited commercials or something that's where i would like see it i like to see if they do something like that but we'll see what happens moving forward yeah i think i'm gonna have to go joke on this one just because um we we have enough breaks as is like like people say you know we have a competition caution 99 percent of the races we have a stage one we have a stage two you know i think if you're going to add in another break in there, then like like Colton said, you either have to have no stages at all and do the halftime break, or you just don't have the halftime break. Because I think that I don't. I think it's more for fans because these drivers they can handle going 500 miles. You know, there's yeah. no. 
it's definitely not for them. I think at that point, it's just it's for TV. Yeah, for me, I'm gonna have to go joke on my own idea uh, because I'd rather see a full, flat out, you know, hundred percent. Let's go 400, 500, 600 miles every Sunday. I don't care. Race length doesn't bother me. Um, I don't care if we sit there for seven hours because the Southern 500 just is a caution fest, just like during 2016 with Carlington. I don't care. I want to see them go flag to flag, and if there's a yellow, have it naturally. However, I will say if NASCAR is going to do this, we do not see the stages getting rid of cautions. I mean, uh, commercials. So we've got we've got the caution flag. We've added two times in the race that was supposed to get rid of commercials. We're not doing that. If they decide that, hey, let's take a five-minute red flag um, halfway through the race, we'll pay points at halfway just like they do with the stages now, um, I could get behind it to know that I was going to be uh, 75 to 100% caution-free from there on. Uh, Commercial-free from there on, excuse me. Um, I don't like I don't like the gimmicks with the cautions, and you can see I'm stuck on that word. So um, I obviously hate them. <laughs> so uh, with that, it was a day race uh, instead of a night race like it had been in Kentucky. So that is the next worker joke. Um, moving this to a day race in a July heat. Um, woke for the racing, joke for the fans. Um, it, it probably sucked. Granted, we got you got a little bit of a break. It wasn't so sunny, beating down on you hot all day. Um, but it was I, a lot worse Saturday. Yeah, if I were a fan, I definitely wouldn't like to be sitting out in that. Um, but for the racing, I mean, it just made the track that much more slick, that much more hard to handle. Um, so woke for the for the race, joke for the fans. Yep, that's uh, that's an agreeable thing too. I think if you're going to a track twice and that track has lights, maybe as for the fan experience, maybe you want to have maybe one night, one day, just because you know you obviously saw the situation in the stands. There wasn't that many people, and yeah, I know that it's July heat and like you know there's a chance of rain that day. But if you add like a twist or something, maybe a Saturday night type of race or something, you know, those fans that went to the earlier race that got to see like all how the daytime festivities and stuff work, maybe try to switch that and bring it back tonight. Because when was the last time Atlanta had their night race? Uh, 2013. Yeah, so, yeah somewhere, somewhere in that range. I think that. Because I know Casey Kane won a night race there back in 14. Yeah, yeah that, that would have been, been it. Right before they switched Darlington back, yeah. Yep, that's right. Because yeah. throwback weekend started in 15. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I think that's something where you could have maybe had a night race there. Just that'd be kind of a cool marketing thing, like Saturday night in Atlanta or just something for the fans and maybe you might have a few more butts in the seats compared to what we saw on TV this past weekend. Yeah, I think I'm going to copy exactly what Colton Jared said. I don't have anything to add other than it's a woke for a one and a half mile track during the daytime. It's a joke for the fans. Okay, so I get it from a perspective that the drivers wanted it. Um, but, God, oh, my God, it was sweltering hot on Saturday. If it would have been that sunny on Sunday, I was lucky enough to have shaded seats on Saturday. If it would have been that hot on Sunday all day, I'd be dead right now. I wouldn't have made it back from AMS. You know, I, I'd have died right there and there. It was just disgusting, and especially after the rain had hit. If it went sunny instead of being cloudy all day, it would have been – terrible so i i like day races i i particularly don't really mind um night races at short tracks but like you guys said mile and a half so i i would want a, a hotter day race but from a fan perspective fuck all that okay 
Yeah. If we're going to go to Atlanta in July next year, it better be a Friday and Saturday night event because that was just total just chaos. I mean, I, I don't know how people were doing it. People were as red as my shirt after sitting out there on Saturday, and I, I, I can't do it. Maybe they were just drunk enough not to feel it till the next day, but God bless them. Um, as far as the racing itself, um, I'll be honest. I was kind of bored the first two stages. This is exactly why I don't like stage racing. Um, that big long run came at the end, and we saw really good long run racing. We saw comers and goers. We saw um, passing was a little bit more difficult for my taste all day, but we saw um, what we saw um, at the end there, and it just caused a lot of controversy. Woker joke on Ross Chastain blocking Cowbush. Um, woke. I mean, you're out of the same garage. Um, we didn't, we've seen more team team orders the last 10 years than we did any time previously. Um, you know, I mean, I can, I, I can't think of very many team orders that we had even before like 2005, 2008 kind of era. Um, but since then that's just kind of been the MO NASCAR. Um, if you have two cars and one of them's got a chance to win the race, the other one's damn sure going to help you do it. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm woke on that. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say if I were in Kurt's position, I would want someone that's out of the same stall as me to help. Um, so I'm probably going to go woke. Yeah, I'm going to go woke also. I tweeted this out, like Ross Chastain knows the whole situation. He's racing for a ride next year and Ganassi's shutting down at the end of the season after being bought by Trackdale. So I understand his point of view, you know, my team's gone after this year. I need a ride. Let's, I'm going to, I'm going to be a good teammate. And I'm going to try to get my team maybe one last win because who knows that could be Ganassi's last one. That could be, heck, that could even be Kurt Busch's last win. So I think he understood that situation, and that that's kind of marketable moving forward because that just shows that hey, this guy's a team driver or whatever, regardless of the controversy. And plus, when it comes to like lap traffic and stuff, like you see that all the time, regardless of their teammates or not. Like Ross was still in the lead lap, right? So caution comes out, he's still in the lead lap rather than get have the chance of getting lapped and then go lap another couple cars and guess what he's stuck and have to do the wave around and knock the tires or whatever so i understand his situation i can understand kyle bush's frustration you know it's late in the race let's try to let the leaders race it out but you also have to it's one of those things you it's hard to just choose size about without being biased is what it comes down to because i could be yeah. that i could be that biased kyle bush fan like man i hate ross chastain he he, ruined, he screwed him over a win i'm like well he did, but it's also it's a part of racing that I've come to understand over the last couple of years. So, we'll come that. I think Nate's Nate Is Nate froze? I think Nate freezed. So, um, <laughs> I'll go ahead and go in on uh, woke as well. Yeah, am I here now? Um, that, I there he's, yeah, there's there's nothing. Or he's back. So, uh, for me, it was kind of woke. Um, I thought it was a, it was a great move. You got to do that kind of stuff. Um, and you know what, if you're fighting for being one lap down, it's totally 100% acceptable. Um, yeah, you just went a lap down because you held up the second place guy that was trying to go for the lead, but that was your teammate that was passing you. That's an oh well moment. Um, he has a lot more, um, I guess, I, I don't know, respect for me for doing that than if you would have done that and he was already two or three laps down. Um, even then, though, I would have understood the move because that's your teammate who's trying to get a win. And as an organization that's shutting down 
um, you're going to want to do that. I, I don't care, you know, if you think that you're going to get the, the replacement ride or not. Um, you know, as a number two track house car, it doesn't matter. Like, that that's a move that you have to do. We've seen stuff like that. We saw the Christopher Bell, Denny Hamlin debacle at Martinsville last year. Uh, Eric Jones, you're right. Sorry. He's driving the 20 we'll now. Right, so. <laughs> No, Everybody kind of, forgets about guess, Eric. That's guess, why he got was, put into the 43. So, Nathan, now that you're unfrozen. Yeah, um, I think this is a tough one for me. I think I think that move was solely done as a thing, saying, as Ross Chastain saying, hey, Trackhouse, please hire me next year. I'm someone that will put the team over myself, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Because I know that for sure, at least this isn't a common thing in NASCAR, but in other forms of racing – you usually don't see guys be that big of a team player because if your teammate is leading the race and you're a lap down, that's gotta be a tough pill to swallow. Like that's a little tough to see somebody in the same equipment as you lapping you. Like you can't no. enjoy seeing that. And I think no. if it wasn't for the situation with Ganassi next year, I'm not sure that he would have been as eager to do that, but it's tough because I know if I was in his shoes, I would say, look, I'm only doing this because I need a job. Like I wouldn't do this every, any other week because usually if you're racing against someone in the same stuff, you got to beat him. So I, I don't know what I would do. You know, it's tough for me. I don't know. I mean, at that point, um, I don't know that a late caution is going to come out or anything. So I might as well let the guy have it because, you know, I want my organization to do well because that puts morale into my guys as well because the organization does that. That puts a fire under my ass because I know my equipment can win now. So now I have to go out and perform the same way. Uh, before we move on, I do want to kind of um, call a little bit uh, out. So Dakota Rutledge, she says, is this a race fan podcast, The Race Kicked Ass? Now, this was directed towards me because okay. he posted this right at. Hey, so here's the thing. Oh, before before you go, Colton, I specifically said, Dakota, that I don't like stages and that I love the last stage. The first two stages were boring to me only because we had the exact same problem that we did in the four stages of the Coke 600, a race which I also attended. We went to halfway, we pit. We went to the end of the stage, we pit. We went to halfway, we pit. We went to the end of the stage, we pit. There was no varying strategy. And I'm not here. I don't give a shit if there's cute little passes here and there on the racetrack i want strategy racing i'm an old school fan i would rather run 500 miles green flag at every single racetrack and see who comes on on top over the end the race was fun in the last stage but the first two blew in my opinion because of that you know what you know yeah. an idea that you know an idea that'd be kind of cool i know they won't do it but it's just me thinking out loud here what if they still had stage cautions but they didn't open pit road Oh, there you that's go. something that we've there talked about. That's something that makes, really and, um, Honestly, I like it, but I don't as well because they're still just re-wrecking the field for no reason at that point. Yeah, like I think the Indy 500 this year, I know it's not a NASCAR race, but that race had what? It had one non-incident caution, and the right. other caution was for a loose wheel like that. Yep. And the race was probably one of the best Indy 500s in the last 20 years. Yeah, and that race about it earlier. pretty much went organically for the whole way and – I thought it was a great race. I think at some point, if you're going to go 500 miles naturally, like there's still a chance for a good race. I think the only thing that gets me with the stages is that they're 
you know, you might not see the guys pushing if it's for a stage because they're like, you know, hey, we're going to bring a caution. We're going to get our pit stops and all that kind of stuff. If you go 500 miles from the start, you're going to see a lot more strategy. So yeah. I think and I'm keeping the points in. The strategy goes up. Yeah. yeah um, so think- since you know Dakota. Um, so <laughs> I'm actually <laughs> in a group chat with Dakota. Um, it's like me, Dakota, Rattlesnake, Jacob and Trekkin, and then I think like Johnny Thomas. He only chimes in like once a month. Um, Dakota, if you're still watching, this has been a recurring joke in our group chat for like four or five days now, is that Dakota will think any race is badass as long as he's at it, which I agree. Races in person are a hell of a lot better than on TV. However, not every race kicks absolute ass. Um, this right. one, I'd agree with you. I mean, first two stages were kind of dull. Um, and I even, I told him like the Atlanta race was fairly good towards the end. Um, but I mean, that's just kind of a recurring joke that any race that Dakota goes to, I mean, he goes to like fucking 30 of these things a year. Um, any Did race he go to the Coke 600. He, what's that? Did he go to the Coke 600? Yeah. And, and he, he thought, if he, he thought, thought that was, race was badass. Then yep. he's not a real race fan. I don't know. Now anything like he hated the, Na- the Knoxville truck race, which I, I see his point of view on. Um, you know, just because it was kind of a shit show at the end. But any race that he's at, he's going to say it's absolutely badass. I could take him to a goddamn mini stock race out in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and he'd be, he'd think it's the coolest thing ever. You know, I'm it's glad that he's so positive joke. and has so much fun. I can't do that. I'm too analytical. Yeah, um, no, speaking right. of being analytical, let's move on to our next topic. We talked about this Tuesday night before the press release last week. NASCAR, I mean, has just totally just gone crazy over this. And I think it's a little bit ridiculous to call out these people, but SMI and AMS are going to reprofile Atlanta motor speedway. Now to preface this, um, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think the repave is a good thing. I think that um, I think you would all agree after Sunday's race that we need to repave the track. The disconnect is between whether or not we think the reconfiguration is good. Um, There's a mixed bag in the industry, um, honestly. And then, Outside of the industry, it's even more mixed bag. I'm a part of the person that is not going to say we don't need to try new things. Um, As far as I'm concerned, SMI is the company out of the two that has our backs. They try to make the fan experience better as far as the racing. So we've done Bristol Dirt. We've done the Roval. We've done the Texas and Kentucky reconfigurations. um, And we've done PJ1 all because of SMI. Whether or not you agree with any of those changes is up for your opinion. Mm-hmm. However, the fact that they're doing those things to provide better racing, even if it doesn't work, is something I think we can't be bullying them for just because they're doing it again. Um, right. And as far as I'm concerned, when we get to the Texas repave, it's fine as long as we don't have this trash package that we're using now. And I don't know, it could have put on better racing with 150 horsepower. I feel like the thing is, I agree with what you're saying that change is okay, but I think that you can't use change to justify breaking what doesn't need to be broken at the same time. And I think Atlanta was one of those racetracks where, you know, hey, yes, it needs to be repaved, but maybe it doesn't need to be reconfigured if it's a driver's track and they all love it. You know, it's like it's like taking let's just let's just throw a track out there. Let's just say Monaco, for example. You know, it's not the best entertainment race but the drivers all seem to like the circuit and if they said hey we're going to add 15 more corners to the track just to try something new i don't think there'd be a lot of support for it the same way there isn't a lot of support for this and right well let me ask you a question 
since 2015, since they were initially going to repave it, and they listen to the drivers every year, let's not repave it, let's not repave it, let's not repave it. Right, but that if you go back to 2015 and you go to now, how many races do you think were good races in Atlanta? Because from my perspective, being at my own track, the only two that were decent as well as the pre-2015 races were the two that we saw this year. So right. I, think- I don't know. If you can't sell tickets to fans because the racing sucks ass, you've got to try something new. Right, but I think, like you said, I think that, yes, the racing's been okay, but at the same time, the the general closeness of the racing at the quote-unquote driver's tracks hasn't always been, like, a complete thriller every time. You know, you look at Darlington races, they're almost always strung out, yet there's no, you know, no one seems to fault Darlington or no one seems to stop going to Darlington for that reason. So I think I, I, I understand the mentality but at the same time, you have to understand when a change isn't going to be a good change at the same time. So I think it's a it's a really it's a tough thing to kind of balance and it's a tough thing to to do. But at the same time, maybe I would have been more willing to do this to Kentucky than I would have wanted to do this to Chicago or Atlanta or like a good mile and a half. You know, so I think it's it's tough for me to be on a particular side. I understand the mentality, but at the same time, it's just you know, sometimes it's not going to work. I think it's just like a driver's fate, like, like you were saying, like it's just one of the driver's favorite tracks. And I think like, rather than like what you were saying, like in Kentucky or Chicago land or something, just the fact that it's Atlanta, it's like a nostalgic track for them. It's like a historic track. There's a lot of history there. I think the repave would have been fine, but I think it's just the reconfiguration thing that kind of has people scratching their heads on. So, so I, we had your dad on last week and we, we talked about this news even before it broke. Um, and I was fairly on board with it. Um, I'm still on board with the repave and the yeah. higher. Um, I do like how they added that apron transition into 24 degrees instead of just flat bank. Um, I, I, I do like that. Um, the only thing that I'm kind of joke against is would be the narrowing of the track. Yes. Um, and, and, and that's really the only thing is because I, I feel like you're taking away a couple lanes of racing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of understand why they did it, um, but I, I would it's it's cheaper to keep the walls in place and to throw new asphalt down and you know do all that stuff. Re, you know when you when you get into changing the banking, obviously you got to take the walls out and you got to reangle them and, and shit like that. So you know when you do one, might as well do the other. Um, that's really the only thing I have a problem with the higher banking. I I understand um, I understand new car. Um, higher banking, new configuration. Let's keep an open mind here um, because just because Texas and Kentucky failed, look at when they did their repaves. Um, they did it right kind of in the middle of the Gen 6, earlier Gen 6. Um, and then we just kind of saw the package develop from there into this yeah. shit we have now. Um, but I think that, I don't know, I, I still have an open mind for the next gen car in terms of the racing quality. Um, and then adding on this this configuration, it'll definitely be interesting. The first couple, it's going to take at least two or three races for us to really kind of get a judge on it. Um, and then, especially once the asphalt wears out, I think we'll get pretty damn good racing out of it. But the narrowing of the track, I'm I'm still kind of questioning. Yeah, that's my big thing too. Yeah, I, I think I think I think Kyle Busch kind of knocked it out of the park in his one interview, saying like we're kind of going opposite of what they're trying to do because like with the whole all the PJ one at every single track now it seems like, and then Texas when you have widening the track or whatever to try to create more racing like why, why make it smaller and go against what we've been trying to do with trying to create yeah. more lanes of racing you know that's kind of the question mark that i 
see, and I, I can agree with Kyle yeah. Bush and see his point on that situation. Right, and I think Hamlin right. said something too, where he added, he said that it's almost like a juxtaposition of what they're trying to do. He said that Atlanta wants to track the age quickly, yet at the same time they want pack racing. Those two things don't go together. And if you want age surface, you probably won't get pack racing. And if you want pack racing, you probably want a smooth surface. And I think that they seem to not know what they want. And if they're going to tailor make a track for pack racing, then I guess I don't understand the idea of narrowing it because it just gives them less lanes to move around in. Okay. You know, so, if, it's, so, if it's as wide as Daytona and they can barely fit three wide at Daytona, then I don't see how you're going to make a move at Atlanta. <laughs> I see. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's a couple points that you guys are making. All right. First of all, I love Atlanta. Um, so I got Dakota in the chat over here saying some shit. Got to be a racing fan. I appreciate Atlanta. I don't I love Atlanta. The drivers love Atlanta. It needed a repay. When you move the banking higher without pushing the embankment up without just taking the walls down and redoing everything, you have to narrow the track. It is going to be 40 feet wide. Like you said, Daytona is 40 feet wide, but it squeezes in three people. Okay, well, we've got four wide going into one and two this weekend. We'll have three wide going into one and two elsewhere. Like Colton said, we'll have a 24-degree banking under there, under the apron. So people will probably try to use that, trying to pass people on that apron Going into one and three. That's going to be fun. When you say Denny Hamlin's quote, it pisses me off to no return because Denny Hamlin is someone that I respect utterly. I love him. He has been my favorite since 2006. He is now a car owner. I love that team. I want him to support everything that he does and everything that he says. But when he says an abrasive surface doesn't lead to good pack racing, I want to punch him in the fucking throat. Did you not see any plate race at Daytona or Talladega before they got repaved? But they were fair, those, and there was passing, and there were good races. Right. But to be fair, I don't know if I would consider those a pack race for more than a short run because you saw races like the Bush Series race there in the late two thousands. You know, you'd have guys literally gap the field. You know, it wasn't it was a half pack race, but it wasn't really a pack race for the entire distance, if you will. Okay, but we don't. We don't need pack racing for the entire deal. It's not going to work on a mile and a half. Right. So I think what That's they're what doing is they're making is they're making the all star race that we saw with the with the um, the hood uh, scoops and all that stuff come out. I think they're going to make that available for a first part of the run, but then we'll have comers and goers at the end of the run. I think that this is going to be an a homogulation of a lot of different types of racing. Because it's going to be a new car, because the tires are going to be smaller, they're going to have to be a little bit harder because of banking and speeds. But I think it's going to wind up racing like a 70s or 80s Michigan Texas World Speedway type race. And we're going to not see as much pack racing, but we might see four or five cars in a line go out and they're going to be passing constantly. And I think that I, I think it's going to be that way. My my just analysis of pass races. I, I hope it's going to be that way. I think it's going to be that way. And I think we're going to come out of this with a more entertaining racetrack than we have now. It's not going to be the same type of racing. It's not going to be as good of racing from a perspective like all of ours because we love old school driver's track. But it's going to be more entertaining. And I think more fans will appreciate it if we do get that super speedway style racing that we had pre-race or pre-restrictor uh, plates. My only thing is that if it's – my concern is – 
are they going to have to lift midway into a run? Because my fear is that if they're already with a bigger spoiler, they're already flat out for most of the run in Michigan with a little bit of lifting here and there. And that's, I would assume, I'm not, don't call me out on how steep Michigan's making this, but I would assume it's probably less than what Atlanta is now. I think it's and 20. 20? Just 20? I, I think it's so 20. I would imagine if the the next-gen car they have, Jared's they did look it up for us. on that car. And if they run a big spoiler, they're probably not going to lift it all. And my fear is that how are you going to make a move? How are you going to come from five seconds back to get somebody if he's running wide open too? If you're both running wide open, there's really less of an opportunity to do that. And even with the older Daytona, you saw guys have to lift. So my hope is that – 18, you know, 18, 18 degrees is the back. 18. Wow, it's not even as big as I thought. All right, so Nathan, to your point, um, this is where my disconnect with the fans comes in. You guys are going so hard on this – reconfiguration but you're yelling at the wrong person in my opinion if this was during the gen 4 era we would have seen some really badass racing because they would have had to lift in the middle of a corner um uh, because they had so much horsepower to downforce ratio now if you look at the gen 4 cars they had 650 horsepower they did not have 850 horsepower if you look at that we didn't get 850 horsepower to the latter years of the cot and the beginning of the the gen 6 eras so we could see great racing if we have a similar downforce package with the 670 horsepower that they're going to next year. If they put a plate um, on this racetrack, if they go 450 horsepower, put the speedway package on it, it's going to be a shit race. And I will take back everything that I'm saying in this podcast. But if they put that, that 670 package on there, they put a, a small spoiler with the splitter being raised in the center, it should produce pretty good racing and, and, and some passing. And if they do get it abrasive as it is now, we will definitely see them lifting in the corners. I I, I, I just I don't have a problem with this. It's something new I want to see happen before I make any judgment of it. But I feel like bigger is better. My only thing is that, yeah, I understand you're saying that if it was the Gen 4, but the problem is it almost seems like it was tailor-made for the type of racing that we criticize every week. Like we don't like 550 racing, and it seems like they're trying to build a track that caters to that type of racing, and that's my biggest fear. You know, it depends on what they run there, but I just I just I question their intentions for creating the racetrack, and my intention or my interpretation of their intention makes me think, hey, they just want pack racing. That's all they want. If they, no put, downforce, if they put the regular, yeah, go ahead. No downforce, thousand horsepower. Thank you, Dakota. Yeah, yeah, pretty that's much. exactly what I'd exactly. go for. Um, so if we if we if we put a lower downforce package with the six hundred and seventy that they're shooting for next year, we have no problem. The problem that we need to do is we need to tell NASCAR to stop with this bullshit and not bring a package that we would bring to Talladega or Daytona into this racetrack next season. That is. That is going to make this race some of the most badass racing we see all year uh, if they get the surface as abrasive as they want to with this new technology. Um, I'm done on my rant. Um, if there's anything else that you guys have to say about this reconfiguration, um, go ahead. And then if not, I'll go ahead and move on. I mean, the package is the root of the problem here. Um, yeah. th this wouldn't be an issue at all, narrowing the track, banking, anything. Um, if we still had way too many horses under the hood and not near enough grip on the rear wheels, um, we'd still see guys slip and slide around. I think no matter what track we go to, we'd still see good finishes. 
um, every once in a while, you know, probably pretty regularly. Um, the package is the big thing. Get rid of that giant ass spoiler on the back. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly your point, and that's my fear is that I really hope that they didn't design this track with a big spoiler in mind because I think that would that would really do it some damage. Yeah, I'm also just I'm also going to point out the simulation video thing or whatever that Atlanta put there. I think it's super hard to try to hype people up like, hey, this you're going to see a new Atlanta or whatever, and then throw eye racing simulation yeah. on there when one like. You, no, no one even knows how like that car would even drive on that track. Nope. So like, how are you gonna make a simulation yeah. out of like? Who knows? We could have like one of those. Like, you remember that Xfinity race at Michigan a couple of years ago, where it was just single file most of the time, and you couldn't pass in the turns because if you tried to drop down, you're just gonna get freight trained by everyone. Yeah, yeah. One more here. Uh, I can see this here. Dakota posted. Why don't we ask Goodyear what the deal is? I know I talked about um, this in our group chat with Dakota. Um, Goodyear needs to be a part of this conversation here. Um, why the hell are they bringing bricks that last for goddamn ever to the track every single weekend? Why can't they give us something that wears out? Um, why well, can't we give us something that as soon as you race, you know, X amount of miles on it or drive it X amount of hard that, you know, we could see blowouts. Um, you know, I mean, all week we've heard that, you know, Doha danger is a part of race and danger is part of the appeal. You know, flat tires would be a pretty good damn appeal. Um, we'd see tires wear out at damn near everywhere you go, um, not just the abrasive surfaces. I think that needs to be a part of the conversation too. Um, Goodyear's bringing too good of tires this, these tracks. Um, even in F1, Pirelli has said that they can make tires that last the whole race. They can make tires that last damn near the whole weekend. Um, yeah, that's exactly why I don't like – that's one of the things that, that kind of gets to me too is that Pirelli doesn't really know what the F1 fans want because it seems like their tires – they last way too long as is yet at the same time, they have to be babied too much. It seems like their tires almost oppose one another. It's like, if you want to push every lap of a stint, you can't do that with Pirelli. Like you could with the bridge zone or a mission. Yeah. Well, and let's, let's bring it back to, to Goodyear. Right. Thomas and I think said it best. I know. He said he out of formula one IndyCar. Um, I don't know. I guess he said IMSA and some other stuff, but they, they, they're not accepted anywhere because they're, they're not good tires. They're shit tires. Um, put Michelin's on them. Put General Tires on them. General Tire makes a good tire for the Arca series, so they know they're, what they're are doing. Are they not owned by Goodyear? I think they are. They might be. I'm not sure, but their tires are. I would say the best tire right now in racing is probably the Firestone for IndyCar because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. people talk about oval racing and they say, you know, blowouts are a natural part of oval racing. And yeah, I will give them that the cars that they run for are much lighter, but you've never seen a Firestone tire blow out on a high speed oval for IndyCar. And it's crazy that they're, yeah. And they're a good racing tire. And number two, they're actually something that the drivers can trust to, Hey, you know, we actually know how this tire is going to react. You can bring the super good tires that aren't going to blow out at the tracks that it matters. The Michigan's, the Indianapolis's, the Poconos, yeah. things yeah. like that, where we're running super, super hard. Um, but at Martinsville, bring a super yeah. soft tire at Bristol, bring a super. I mean, I, th- I want, I want to be able to bend this thing to my fingers when it's full of air. Um, right. bring something that's really going to wear out and that's really going to see these drivers on the edge every lap. Yeah, I would agree. I think that there are some tracks where you can't really have a soft tire, you know, to get disastrous like Indy last year. You know, I think there are tracks, but like you said, I think road courses are another fun one where you can have soft tires and it's definitely short tracks because you see the improvement it makes. And I do hope that they look at this and like, Hey, maybe we need to, 
change up the compound we bring to this track, or maybe maybe well, we don't I mean, need to bring the brakes everywhere. With the new car, we're going to have really thin tires, and I think the profile of the tire is going to have to be completely different. So I don't trust Goodyear at all with that. Um, I would rather see someone like a, Mich a Michelin come out because they've had, uh, uh, you know, these GT cars that have ridden around Daytona and stuff, albeit at lower speeds because they're gaining speed and then losing speed coming in and out of the bus stop and stuff like that. But I, I would want someone who's dealt with lower profile tires before um, that hasn't shit the bed in every other series they've been in. And um, I hate that Goodyear got a, another contract extension, but I've been saying that since I was like 10 years old. I've just never really liked Goodyear. So I don't know. Uh, Firestone may be the way to go. Maybe Hoosier. I know there was some bad <laughs> things about Hoosier way back when in the 90s when we had the tire wars, but I feel like they've got good tires on short tracks now. They could – probably do what they need to do get their scientists on it too, yeah whatever every um, super model division in the country uses hoosiers right absolutely so that might be that's what i'm doing so yep all right so moving on the tweet that broke the sport maybe we don't know yet so um oh man this this could be something really really um stringent over the next couple of weeks we don't know exactly where we're going but this rabbit hole that we're about to get down into all started from a little old 19 year old college kid from florida named nathan ball um he tweets out that tony stewart talking about the direction of nascar is headed in judging by how drivers reacted to the atlanta repave this is still very very relevant so, as I've said before, I think this tweet itself doesn't really have anything to do with Atlanta. I think Atlanta was yeah. the tipping of the iceberg. And what yeah. Steve Swift said was the tipping of the iceberg. The fans want something. The drivers don't really want the same things the fans want, so they don't need to be consulted. Um, so, as we get into this, um, Tony basically says there's guys up there that's never done anything with a race car, never even sat in one, much less raced one, trying to tell us what we want as fans and or race car drivers. Um, and not really caring what the race car drivers say. So um, this tweet pretty much broke the sport. So let's get into it. Nathan, what's the disconnect between NASCAR and the race car drivers right now? Um, I would judging by what everyone said last week is probably at an all time high. Um, I don't think I've seen that many drivers interact with one tweet in particular for a long time. It's very strange for drivers to jump on one fan's tweet like they did with mine. So clearly it must've struck a chord and clearly they're agreeing with it. And you know, who knows how many of the guys saw the tweet and didn't interact with it because there were, I'm sure there were a lot of views with the tweet and a lot of people that were not on Twitter, even watching the video. So I think there's almost something to it that it kind of hints at underlying problems that we're not seeing because if, if a group of drivers is going to agree with some random kid mm -hmm. over their own leadership, then there's gotta be some stuff behind closed doors that we don't know about. There's gotta be some stuff that are major red flags to us, at least that kind of indicate that, Hey, we don't, we don't have as good leaders as we think we do. You know, I don't think that there's a lot of things that are good right now with it. So it's just with the way everything played out this week, it seems like it it kind of blew up because there were other things going on this week. You know, there were mixed reports about the new car having so, some sort of issues with the crash test and the Atlanta repave and what Steve Swift said. I think it all kind of just snowballed. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, you sent us a list of all the drivers that you had kept track of. Granted, this was days ago. Um, yeah, who knows how many there are more now? Um, Denny Hamlin, Noah Gregson, Tommy Joe Martins, Austin Hill, Bob Levine, Matt Weaver, um, just to name a few. Um, even uh, BFM, Black Flags Matter. Fuck that guy. Um, you know, I mean, you're talking about – I'm sure Denny Hamlin was in that meeting that Tony's talking about. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure there was Kyle Busch, um, Kurt Busch. You know, I'm there. Kevin Harvick, there's a ton of guys that were outspoken this weekend that interacted with that tweet and they go, Oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, and it's just as prevalent today as it was. Um, also, this thing opened up the whole can of worms about the safety. Um, it wasn't until Bob Levine and uh, Steve Meal came out and said, Hey, we heard yeah. these kind of rumors. And that's that. what sparked the Reddit. That's what sparked the talking to the drivers about it. And that's what sparked this whole thing this weekend. Um, so I think it's crazy. I can't remember a single time within at least the last five years where one single tweet has spilled over as as much as this has. Just because I mean, you didn't even post anything controversial. You just right. posted something that was already on YouTube from Coffee with Kyle, however many years ago it was. I don't know, a few years ago at least. Um, you know, I mean, you posted an existing clip and just resurfaced it, and it was crazy to see that thing blow up. I mean, it's just south of two thousand likes right now, which is insane. Um, just for a little snip of a video. I mean, a 30 second clip. Um, but I mean, it makes you wonder what the drivers are thinking if they're, you know, even guys like Tommy Joe Martins are agreeing with us and interacting with that tweet and saying, yeah, okay, I kind of see it. Um, we, I haven't seen drivers ever been this outspoken about something. I mean, since 2000, when we had the big safety war going on with guys like Jeff Burton, um, you know, Dale Earnhardt coming out and saying that there's, there's a problem here. Um, and that's kind of what we're seeing now. This reminds me, I've said it all week on Twitter, the conversations that are being had right now remind me a hell of a lot of 2000 um, when drivers were kind of being outspoken and NASCAR was saying, deal with it. Um, it's going to be interesting moving forward. Great job posting that, dude. Yeah, I think, like I said, I'm not going to be the one responsible for it. I'm just like, hey, if this thing's got problems, it's not my problem. You know, I just posted the video. And, you know, most for most forms of racing, if you post an audio clip from three years ago, it's probably not going to do what it did here. So it's almost like a, a case of say, hey, you know, don't blame the person tweeting. It's just it's just a just thought it was something cool. And then they everything just blew over. Yeah, it's just been crazy seeing how much the like one, like how many drivers have actually seen and interacted. Like we were saying, like that's probably getting passed around in all the drivers group chats and stuff. Like, hey, this kid's on to something. I think they're. I think they know a little bit of something because especially if they like it or whatever, they're obviously probably going to bring it up and maybe like the driver's team meetings or something. They're like, Hey, what did you think yeah. about this? This person's tweet or this video that he just resurfaced right now, you know? So it's pretty cool to see that, but it's also just shows that this whole weekend, like, like Jeff Gluck said in his tweet, like I've, I haven't heard this many drivers be as outspoken as they are since as long as I can even remember. So that's 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 an interesting topic, and I really do think that really kind of sparked something, especially if Matt Weaver retweeted it. So that's a big yeah. name. That's a big name yeah, in the right. journalism community. So if he's going to retweet and say something about it, I think that's really going to spur turn some heads. Be like, all right, this this is an issue right now, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. I agree completely. If you guys listen to this week's DBC, um, Brett Griffin mentions that in Michigan a few years ago they had a drivers only meeting where Tony Stewart walked out and he said, I'm not dealing with this because all they're telling me is to not speak out about NASCAR. And I feel like this is a really big case of drivers saying, fuck it. We're going to do what we want. Yeah, right. So, um, I'll also well, add real quick to mute him, Alex, mute him. 
Alex, I'm not, not going to mute anybody. I'll, I'll say what I have to say. I'll just uh, I was just going to say, like, you notice how it's like all the older veteran type of guys that are getting more, like, attention in right. that situation compared to guys, like, you, you don't really, you didn't hear anything like Cole Custer or your Tyler Reddick or whatever. Those guys didn't really, like, say any, a lot of things that were, like, as big as, like, what Harvick and Hamlin and those guys were saying or, and you have like Chase Elliott, who's still kind of young, who's just kind of being like hush hush about this situation, you know. So it's just interesting how I think the older guys get it, and I think they've just been held back so long that I think now this is like the perfect weekend, just to absolutely just blow it out yeah. of the waters. So, so Colton, why I didn't mute him or anyone else who's talking over me is just because of what he just said. He reminded me of something that was said about the repave, and that was Chase Elliott said, "It doesn't matter." I've raced here. I've wanted to win here. I'll win here on the new surface. The ground's still the same. It doesn't matter what they do. It's not up to me. It's not my decision. I'm a driver. I'm going to drive. That's my job. Someone else's job to do all the layout changes and all the logistics of that. So when it comes to something like this, on kind of a different point, when Nathan and I came together, I had been wanting to do this since 2015. I wanted a voice for the fans. I wanted to show the sport, what we wanted from our own perspectives, right? Because we don't have anywhere to say what we're going to say. We've got the four of us, some of that coming where more fans will be involved than just us four in the future. You guys will have to stay tuned for that. But for right now, Nathan has done exactly what I wanted to do with this, this concept of fan fuel. And that is get the word out from a fan to shake something up. And Nathan – you did it at like two or three in the morning that night, and you did it with a baseless, really tweet right. that really didn't mean anything, but mm-hmm. it shook NASCAR, right? It it got those guys whose blood have been boiling for the past four or five years because they haven't been heard and just popped the top off of the tea kettle of their you know boiling blood, and and, and that's all that's all that I could say is that I appreciate that because now we're having conversations that we wouldn't have had three weeks ago. We're having conversations where I'm pissed off because you guys don't like the reconfigure of Atlanta, but we're also having a really in-depth review of why is the sport taking their star players and not giving two rat's asses about them? And also why do they think we don't think their opinions matter as fans? Because that's really what the borderline um, I guess reason for your tweet blowing yeah. up comes out to it's that we aren't being listened to, and they think that just because they're the gods of the sport, that for some reason we'd rather listen to them than the drivers who we idolize each week. I I, I don't know. It, yep. I appreciate you doing this. It, it it got yourself blown up. It helped us gain a little bit of traction. Um, and it, and it's 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 what I called you out for because I you know at the beginning of this you didn't want to come on to the show I basically right. had to beg you and, and and now you've gone and done something that like just I'm, I'm I'm proud of the whole situation right now but because you've basically just changed the sport uh, probably for the better hopefully for the better for the for for the for the rest of whatever yep. so with that being said these drivers are pissed off a little bit about not being told whether or not these cars that they're going to get into are safe. So I know Colton alluded to the 2000 season and similar stuff happening then. Um, Nathan, you're a med student. Um, Where does this safety kind of revolve for the sport with you? I think the biggest thing is transparency, like you said. Um, 
there was an article posted, I think, last night with Matt Weaver talking about how they had a couple of drivers come on there and talk about how they had met with people in the sport and they didn't actually get any answers as to how safe the car was. And I know Kurt Busch was saying, like, hey, this is – little bit weird that I met with this guy and they didn't even tell me whether it was good or bad. They just told me it was inconclusive. So I think that's the biggest thing for me. I think that another thing that people don't really realize is that when it comes to safety and all these kind of things, it's kind of ever changing. And I think the fact that it's rumored to have taken a step back is a confusing part for me because at least nine times out of 10, they normally don't take a step back. It almost reminds me of, when IndyCar made their little split in the late nineties. And I think the new IRL cars were kind of dangerous. And they were, I wouldn't say they were death traps, but they were certainly a lot more dangerous than they should have been. It almost reminds me of that as to the sport sort of going backwards rather than forwards. And I think another problem that you're going to create with that is again, the transparency. Like if you're a sanctioned body and your driver's like, Hey, I want to know how safe this car is. If you're telling them, Hey, well, why don't, you're going to find out when you strap into Daytona. That's not really a, a comforting thing. No, it's like it's like if you're going skydiving and they're like, you know, we don't know if this parachute works or not, but you're going to find out when you pull the cord. It's just you, there's some stuff you just can't do, and in this scenario, you have to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Um, I know a lot of younger fans, Nate, um, Jared, probably even to an extent, don't remember 2000. I wasn't very old at that time, but I remember what was going on. I remember Adam Petty dying. I remember Kenny Irwin dying. Um, I remember it being a, a pretty big deal. Um, and I even told you guys in the group chat, like, I think my parents stopped letting me watch races for a couple weeks just because my dad did it at the time. And he was a super big racer going for a championship. Um, and for a little kid to go see someone die on TV and then watch my dad go do that same shit four days later, five days later, um, that could have been pretty traumatizing. Um and, and to, to Nate's point, I don't feel like they're just throwing safety out the window, but I think right. it's, it's the lack of communication. We all know that NASCAR loves to brag on themselves and pat themselves on the back. Um, if this was a super safe car and they, they knew they had the data to prove it, we'd have seen it by now. If, oh, if they yeah. knew that it was even comparable to the Gen 6 and we could say, and they could say, hey, you know, we got good crashes here. We can, we can match them up. We can compare them. It's, it's good. They would have came out and said it, at least to the drivers. And that's the biggest worry that I have is the drivers have these concerns, whereas in the past, fans have had a concerns, and the drivers are super quick to hush it down and say, no, you guys are wrong. You guys are wrong here. Um, but the fact that we saw Chase Briscoe go on Reddit and reply to a comment of, hey, would this test have killed the dummy from what you've heard? And he says, yeah, you know, that's exactly what it would have done. That's that's pretty concerning. That the drivers haven't even been filled in this loop. It raises a lot of flags that NASCAR probably has some questions that they're asking themselves, not just to the drivers. Um, and I mean, we'll probably get into it here in a little bit. But the Michael McDowell of racing isn't supposed to be safe. We don't need to take a step backward. Um, let's keep it the same. Let's improve one or the other. We don't need to go backwards. We don't need to see right. more guys dying. That would kill the momentum of the sport. Um, yeah, as new fans, yeah, as much as new fans would tune in. You'd see a lot of these older guys going, we haven't had a death in 20 years. Why in Let's the not start. did someone get killed over this seemingly, you know, this wreck that we've seen dozens of guys survive in the last 15 years? Um, whereas yeah. these fans would say, hey, they haven't had a death in 20 years. Here's another one, you know, yada, yada, yada. For a lot of these older fans that have been around quite a while, it, it really turns me off that they're that these rumors are even happening. Um, I, I think, well, like I said. Disappointing. I think the toughest thing 
is that it probably wasn't less safe than the other car. You know, I don't think they intended it for it to be like this. I'm pretty sure it's just a combination of, you know, either, hey, you know, even the best engineers make mistakes every now and then. And that's probably the case of that. It's not the mistake that bothers me. It's how they handle the mistake with the fact that they're not willing to admit it. That's the biggest thing for me because, you know, no, no person is going to be infallible in any particular field. And I think science is always one of those fields where there's room for mistakes. And when those mistakes happen, they're pretty bad usually. And I don't, like I said, I don't fault them for that, but they've had a long time to fix it. And I think it, it stems from a almost a little combination of multiple areas. I think part of it is there's a worldwide part supply issue right now that multiple drivers have hinted at because of COVID. There's a money issue because of COVID. And then you've got manufacturers that have never had any experience with NASCAR before trying to build a stock car when all they've built before are open wheel cars. So they they don't really know how to do this. So when you give an inexperienced manufacturer a chance to make a race car like that, it's there's going to be all sorts of kinks that need to be ironed out. And like I said before, if you admit you have a mistake, then that's no big deal. Just work on it. You can fix it. But if you know you've made a mistake and you refuse to admit it, especially when said mistakes got consequences, that's that's where all the problems lie. Because if you're not going to be able to admit you made a mistake, what are you going to do if somebody actually did die? Right. Exactly. You know, you'd rather you'd rather want to like have the mistake now rather than roll right. up into roll up into Daytona next year and someone get killed. That that's just going to make NASCAR yep. itself it look like an absolute joke. Like, wow, they just roll out this new car that killed someone. Like, what a great sport. You know, that would yeah, not be a good, not a good week, tough. not a good start to speed weeks, and that would not be good for NASCAR in general. Starting off in next gen of racing like that. Yeah, and I think yeah, like and with that, and you got to say, you know, when we look at crashes at daytona specifically if we're going to go into daytona they weren't going to race the next gen car at daytona this year they were going to start it off in the second race right so what do we see at daytona you see the big ones you see these really massive wrecks especially the two that that i thought i saw someone die and that was austin Dillon's crash and then of course ryan newman's crash in 2020 if we have a moment like that just like Jared just said, if we have a moment like that at Daytona, not only are we going to be scared that we saw someone die, but with the little information that we have, we might actually see someone die. And like he said, you can't have that going into the next generation of a car. I guess um, you, you've you heard Colton and Nathan both say this. You can't go backwards. If you're going to have a new iteration of something that has to at least match the last one. And in this safety that we're talking about now, you definitely can't go backwards because you've got a public eye on everything. These guys are not only representing uh, themselves and their families and stuff, but they're representing companies and stuff like that. So, I mean, you've got a bunch of, of, of eyes on everything all the time and you're representing stuff. You can't let one of these people die. And it's not, I mean, it's not just because there's money involved, but I mean, they, there is, but you and I and everyone watching and listening, you know, once this goes on the streaming platforms, they've all got their favorite drivers. I don't think they want to watch somebody like Ron Newman die. Who They might hate their guts. You know, human life is just so precious. And we've only got 40 of these guys that can do this stuff. Why would we endanger them? And why would we let them think that they could go, you know, just 
get hurt in a wreck that should have been fine, you know, last year with the Gen 6 car. Yeah, my thing is that I think, like you said, one of the biggest things with the science field is that if you want any progress, you have to admit when you've made a mistake. And just the way they've handled it is kind of disturbing, you know, saying, hey, hey, we got this, we got this, don't worry, that never happened, be quiet, you know. That's a huge red flag for me, and I think something that they mentioned or the G-Force numbers from the crashes. And I think obviously those are not really as public as other series would put them out there. Um, they mentioned that Byron's wreck off a of turn two into the inside wall at Fontana last year had similar numbers to the tire failures at the Brickyard last year, which were probably in all honesty, some of the hardest hits of the entire season last year. So if you take a crash, like say the one that broke Kyle Busch's legs five years ago, six years ago, you know, who knows if they would have walked out of that because the biggest thing with high G force hits like that, that injure people, it's, it's energy dissipation. And their main concern with the car is that it doesn't dissipate the energy that needs to get, that needs to happen to make sure that people walk out of these wrecks. And if all the energy goes to the driver, it's not a good thing, obviously, because it's, it's only going to create more problems. So you know, if you run into a wall head on or whatever, and none of the energy is actually going where it needs to go, and it's all going to the driver, then you're going to have a lot more problems. Because I think that most injuries these days, they can be preventable, but stuff like concussions, you're probably, I, I don't see a way that you're ever going to stop those from happening. So I don't right. think increasing the, increasing the likelihood of those happening is going to help anything. Yeah. And yeah. you brought up the Kyle Bush crash. Um, he got injured. And he even came out in an interview with Steve, uh, Grant Bessinger, um, if y'all have seen that. He comes out and he says, when, you know, when I was sliding towards the inside wall, I knew that there wasn't grass. I knew it was going to hit hard. And so he said, I braced up, and I was so worried about bracing up and keeping my hands tight that I forgot to bring my feet off the pedals. And that's right. what broke his leg is because he was too tensed up in his foot. And then when that wheel came back, there wasn't any room for his leg to go broke his foot. Right, and that's why they've had these new – Several, yeah. Right, they've had like new almost – I wouldn't call them intrusion panels like IndyCar, but they've done something to the foot the foot area of the car. I remember probably four years ago that they wrote an article about this to where they wanted to prevent parts of the car being pushed back into where the pedals are to cause leg injuries and stuff because they had a scare with Danica Patrick. They said if she wasn't, you know, under five foot five, then she would have had broken legs or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, and, and it's that exact same thing. Um, yeah. When you bring up the uh, the G forces that we've seen, even um, it's unofficial, but NASCAR has come out and said a lot of the people who were at the test, a lot of the people who were in the industry came out and said those G forces were kind of scary for the impact it was. It makes me think we're looking at at least a forty mile an hour difference between the Eric Jones and the Denny Hamlin blowouts to Byron's impact into the wall. If they were that alarming, um, I think if we would have seen a 10, 20 mile an hour difference between the impacts, it wouldn't have been quite as scary. Um, but I mean, you got to think of how wide uh, that Fontana track is and how much time he had to scrub off speed. I mean, you know, he's, he's probably going on asphalt and he's sliding, he's scrubbing tires, locking the brakes down, um, for him to hit that hard into the inside wall. That's pretty scary. That's a wreck that we're going to see three or four times in a year. I think of Ryan Priest's wreck at Kansas, um, last year. What, what's it looking like in that next gen? If it is as rigid as the rumors are saying. Yeah, my bet is um, out. Was the car rolling over? Is is he alive? You know, and that's yeah, kind of thing, where the fans are going. Right. And my yeah. thing with, it, with energy dissipation is how the car hits too. You don't know because there's no video of the crash. You know, 
Right. What does it look like? If it looks like the Ryan Priest wreck, it's scarier because the Priest wreck, you know, as bad as it looked, that went about as good as it could have gone for a type of crash like that. Because if he hits with the left front corner of his car and not this way, the car doesn't spin around. It doesn't dissipate the energy. It just goes and you come to a dead stop. And yeah. that were to happen, say Byron's crash was 40 miles an hour quicker, it probably have worse consequences. You look at Kyle Busch's crash. He hit it probably the worst angle you could possibly hit at in terms of you hit it at an angle to where all the energy goes to the driver and it doesn't spin around. He was going 90 miles an hour when that happened, which is pretty slow for a crash these days. And it was still a 90 G hit. Like what would 90 miles an hour do in the next gen car? Yeah. And my biggest question is, is one of my favorite tracks, uh, Jared, your home track of Pocono. Uh, you were at the races when when both Bubba Wallace uh, and um, Jimmy Johnson hit the turn one walls, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to ask, from your perspective, being at the track, what was that sound like and what did you guys feel as a crowd during that wreck? Because whatever you felt, it's going to be two to three times that if we yeah. have a similar crash at Pocono. Well, you def- considering they both happened like turn one, you definitely you definitely heard it because it was such that you're going that's the fastest straightaway and you're going right into that wall like that's you you could hear that from where i was sitting and then like it's just that awkward like eerie silence like oh is he gonna get out or whatever because you've seen you've seen a pocono there's been some gnarly wrecks there before like you got like the dale jr steve park one you got elliot sadler trying to stroke like he got like lost his whole engine out of one of the hits that he had and there's just always been so many wrecks there it's like oh are they gonna make are they are they all right or but just the fact that Turn one, like you could definitely hear that, like the impact on that the crash from what I remember. Yeah, so okay, with well, as rigid as this car is and, and and what we've seen, you know, IndyCar doesn't race there anymore. That track was designed for IndyCar. Um, I don't know if you went to the Indy um Indy races for any of those. Um, but with those races having such hard impacts and, and different things happening, um, do you think at your home track of Pocono that the next gen car is even going to be viable if we have this sort of rigidity, because it's probably the toughest track on the schedule as far as, as two cars. Well, this is, this is another thing where it'll really depend on which package that they bring to that track. Cause they ran the 550 package for the races that are that this year. And I think they ran that last year, obviously. And it's just, I think it's a lot easier for the drivers now because they don't, have to they don't really have to break or anything like you saw kyle bush he didn't even have to shift the entire like last yeah. stage of the race so if if they're running a the old if they're running a higher horsepower package and it's like old school pokemon where you're shifting so like more often than not then you might have that risk for like getting hitting the wall or something or trying to go taking that turn way too fast whereas with the package we have now they just have to lift a little bit and just cruise into the corner and get a draft and you're good to go because i we haven't really seen any vicious crashes there the last two years with the package that we've ran or the last three years there. I can't really remember any like severe crashes there prior to the 550-750 package split. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's just difficult because, you know, if the car itself is rigid, then there's going to be hits that normally aren't a concern that now become a concern. And normally, at least from what the experts would tell you is that it's always the crashes that don't look spectacular that are the ones that are the worst on the driver. 
you know, if you go back to 2008 Las Vegas, um, everyone knows the hit Jeff Gordon had to the inside wall. But a lot of people don't know is there was Tony Stewart in the same race. He blew a right front and hit the turn three wall, which was actually a safer barrier. And the officials said that that was almost an equal blow to the inside, to the outside wall with the safer barriers. It was to Gordon's crash without one. So I get kind of confused as to wonder what it would do to one of these cars. If you hit it the same way where, you know, where you don't have any energy that gets dissipated. It just, you just hit a wall and that's it. Yeah. And, and another concern that comes up with me is the teams haven't gotten these chassis yet. They're supposed to go to Bristol yeah. to do a tire test next month. was what Kevin Harvick said. They can't get chassis. Um, so that wow. definitely indicates me that NASCAR is still working on something, whether there's a big red flag issue like we were talking about, or it's just a little minute thing. We don't know those kind of details, um, but the way NASCAR is treating this of the, hey, we got it, shut up kind of thing. Um, but Steve Miller did, I think it was Steve Miller, whatever his name is, um, did in the interview with Steve XM. Um, you know, he kind of just said, oh, they're all fake, yada, yada, yada. We'll give you the data when we can get to it, yada, yada, yada. Um, that doesn't really settle any nerves, especially if I'm a driver, um, especially if I'm a driver and I'm sitting there and I know I'm gonna have to strap into one of these things next year. That doesn't calm me at all. And especially if I'm gonna have to do a tire test here in three, four weeks at Bristol, that doesn't calm me at all. Um, I could be going 130 miles an hour into the corner and you're telling me if this tire fails, cause it's a test and I hit that wall that I'm looking at a, a super, super hard impact. Um, I I'm really nervous. And, and again, Teams are building Daytona cars by now, usually. Um, they're starting right. to work on their Daytona 500 chassis. They're kind of building it ground up and seeing what they can do. They haven't even got a chassis yet, and that that's really alarming to me. Yeah, so um, let's, let's roll into safety and stuff, and then um, I'm going to add a little bit there. Um, some of the drivers have come out and had comments where they are concerned, but some of them have also said stuff where they weren't concerned. So if I look at some of these um, comments, um, as far as the ones that aren't concerned, um, some that uh, Nathan had listed were, I'll still race regardless of if it's safe or not. That's from Chase Elliott. Um, Racing is dangerous. That's just the way it's always been, Christopher Bell. And racing isn't supposed to be completely safe, Michael McDowell. Now, let's not take these too far out of context, but when it comes to this, basically – Racing is inherently dangerous. We've said before on on this show that, you know, we shouldn't take a step back. But when it comes to this kind of different side of driver perspectives where these certain drivers are kind of pushing it off as, oh, well, being a race car driver, you know, there's inherent danger. I mean, how do we feel as fans knowing that we don't want them to get hurt? Um. You know, I, I before I say anything, I want to clarify that, yes, I do, in fact, care about the safety. I've had, you know, that like that Jordan Fixon guy or whatever his name is on Twitter tell me that I don't care about the safety of the sport because I said that I just simply stated that it's hard to stop physics from happening. You know, that's all I said. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize that I'm actually part of a board, like a council thing to where you can sign up to be a student member of an inter- international council of motorsport sciences which has a lot of cool studies and a lot of people that are involved in the design of the safety mechanisms that are on this board 
and you get to listen to like zoom conferences and meetings with them and stuff like that which is it's really cool to listen to but at the same time i think people have to realize what the safety part that yes there's always going to be some sort of risk racing that's just that's just kind of the impreventable part of this sport but at the same time i do think they're always going to try and get better um there's no way around that like they're going to try and get better doesn't mean they can but at least they're making attempts to do so but i think at the end of the day whether there's a hundred percent risk or a zero percent risk or maybe even a one percent risk there's still going to be some risk involved with it so i think it's part of the fans job to understand that the people involved are trying to do their best with safety um there's there's not like i said there's gonna be kinks but at the same time that's why there's always usually a thing at some tickets if you go to certain racetracks says motorsport is inherently dangerous you know that's just it's something that you don't want to see but at the same time there's always going to be some risk and i think the more they work towards trying to help the safety the better it's going to be but i just don't see even as someone who wants to work in this field in the future i would probably say that if there was no risk, then people like that, there wouldn't be people wanting to go into this line of work. Like there wouldn't be jobs for motorsport medicine. So, um, so Jared, um, I do want to kind of ask you this because um, you're a fan of Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch had his legs broken and then he came to win the championship in 2015. Um, when you go into a racetrack and you you visualize something that, that's happened to a driver of yours like that. And and you've got other drivers on the grid saying, Oh, it's dangerous. It doesn't really matter. When when we're talking about taking a step back in safety, um I mean, what do you feel as someone who's experienced like something like that that's happened to their driver? Oh, it's it would suck just because it's like, you know, it's your favorite driver and everything, but it's also like they're just they're no different than you and me, you know, like there's always those risks of you know, crashing on the highway or something or whatever. Like that's, right. it's a risk, you know, it's like, that's the comment like that Michael McDowell made it. It seems to me like, yeah, that's, it's kind of like an obvious comment, but I feel like it's one of those comments just trying to like maybe stir the pot a little bit more for discussions or whatever, because I hate comparing it to other sports, but like, that's like the same thing as like Patrick Mahomes saying like, well, we could get concussed at any, like football is a dangerous sport. We can get murdered heads knocked off if we get sacked the right way or something, you know, it's like, one of those like every sport does have their dangers and everything and that that comment just kind of like made the point like yeah it's dangerous but i i think everyone knew that everyone signed up for that and it's just a part of racing it's a part of life but right just, yeah so that that's basically the point i'm trying to make with, with that topic right and i think i guess to your point i agree you know i've had drivers break their backs i've had my favorite driver you know puncture a lung in a race and walk out of there like nothing happened and still try to get in the race car the next week and actually have to get sat down by doctors to tell him, say, Hey, you can't drive this. You can't drive in this race with a, with broken ribs and a potential punctured lung like that, you know? But at the same time, I do agree. Like as much as say people like me want to help in the future and work in safety and racing, we at the same time know that there's always going to be a certain amount of risk with it because if there was no risk, there wouldn't be any doctors at a racetrack, you know? Yeah, um, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, to, to the comments made of racing is always going to be dangerous, of course. Football is right. always going to be dangerous. Baseball is always going to be dangerous. Um, 
most sports are always going to be dangerous to a degree. Um, racing more so than others. Um, broken bones, um, torn ligaments, things things like that that you get from hard impacts, concussions even. Um, I get. I understand. It, it's going to happen. When you crash a, a car into a wall at 180, 190, 200 miles an hour, it's going to happen. There's almost no way to get around that. Um, and physics have proved that. And scientists have proved that. Um, and that's why we have doctors here is not only for what could go wrong, um, but will uh, eventually will go wrong. Um, what I don't like is the whole, well, racing supposed to be dangerous, so let's just leave it as it is. I don't want to see deaths. I don't want to see guys getting paralyzed. I don't want to see any permanent or maiming injury happen in NASCAR again. Um, and that's that's really what I'm getting at here. When you all see me argue on Twitter, granted, I'm a dickhead on Twitter. I'm emotionally <laughs> um, I, I argue my absolute heart out because I've been through this. And I feel like a lot of the fans that I, I get on and I talk to are, are newer fans and they don't understand it. And I'm just trying to be as passionate as possible. I'm a sprint car fan. I follow the mm -hmm. world of outlaws damn near every week, every race they go to. I, I at least try to keep up on the race. I remember when Jason Johnson died. It, yeah, it, too, actually. it bummed me out for weeks um, because he was, he wasn't just like a back of the pack guy. He was like, you know, he was almost like a, a front runner now. Um, I mean, if you can think of any guy who runs in the front consistently, Joey Logano, maybe he was kind of like that. He, he won a, lot, a ton of races and he flipped, hit a billboard and was killed. Um, I, I don't want to see drivers get killed. Um, yeah, and for me, I'd say Brian Clawson is the same. Brian Clawson, guy that I was looking forward to going to IndyCar. Yeah, I was he never got that chance. I was forty miles away from that track when he died in Kansas. I was at a wedding, and I was actually debating leaving the wedding and going to that race. And I'm super glad I did. Um, and it, it bummed me out. I took extra days off work because of that because I was just so distraught over that um, racing disc. They hit me hard, and I don't mm -hmm. want to see one in NASCAR. Right, um, I would agree. Like I don't. <laughs> I don't think I would necessarily quit racing if I was at a race and my favorite driver was killed. I don't think I would necessarily stop going. No, 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 no. But I think that at the same time, I don't really want to see it happen either. Like it's almost like a right. case of say if I, if I work in this field, you know, 15 years down the line, it's almost like a better case of it's better to have and not need a doctor there than to need and not have one, you know, like right. it's almost like, Hey, I hope, I hope that we don't have to get called into action today type thing. Like, yeah, you don't I hope we don't have to use the ambulance. I hope we don't have to airlift someone out. Eric Almarola scared the piss out of me. When I saw that he was being life lighted out, I thought the worst. And it turns out it was just broken back. All right. That, that'll happen. Um, right. But when I hear people talk about racing's always dangerous, we don't need to worry about it, that raises some concerns with me. And I hear people say, and Michael McDowell alluded to this, he said, that's part of the appeal of the sport. Okay, well, if danger was a major factor into appeal, PBR would be the number one sport on television every week. It's not, um, you know. I mean, when when you see someone get, or when you see a bad wreck, that's the danger appeal, right? And then you see the guy get out, and you keep racing. When I, a lot of these people that are talking about it probably weren't at the track when something like that happens. When you see a death, when I would see someone get killed at a race. I don't want to really watch want to watch that next race at that track, right? Um, I can understand. I've heard fans say that they didn't want to watch the 2001 Pepsi 400. They didn't want to watch that first Talladega race after Dale died. Um, I get it, right? It it it's different when you go through it. And I look at Twitter's reaction when Ryan Newman's wreck happened. All these fans that are saying, "Oh, it's dangerous. It's part of the sport." We're the same ones that were up in the air and that we're praying for him and that we're doing all this and tweeting that. Um, yeah. You you got to scare. You, you don't want to have a promise here. 
Right. And I think, you know, something on that topic is I was actually, if you remember a crash in the ARCA race at Daytona in 2017, there was a driver named Justin Fontaine that actually yep. did hit the wall head on in front of us. Yep. Um, he ended up having the exact same injury that Almirola did, which was a compression fracture of his lower back. I don't, I don't want to say which vertebrae it actually was, but it was almost a very similar injury. And I actually sat with his family when that happened. I guess like his brothers and his parents were actually in the row in front of us. And we saw that happen. And like some guy leaned over is like, Oh, Hey, you know, that's, that's our son out there, you know? And you know, we we're like, Hey, is he okay? And they're like, yeah, he's okay. He's just, you know, he has back pains or whatever. And they're, they're going to send him over to the hospital and get him x-rayed. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a life or death thing, but when you see it, it's kind of interesting because it gives you a different perspective. Um, yeah. At least from my side of the things, you know, I've always kind of been an analytical person. So I've never, I've never really identified with the emotional side of things until then. But it is interesting to see that because, you know, you don't want necessarily to go to a racetrack and say, hey, you know, is my loved one actually going to survive? You know, you don't want to have to know that. Right. You know, you see, you know, you look at the Indy 500 every year, they show the driver's family members, or they used to back when ABC was a thing. Like you would see how nervous those people were watching the end of those races because they knew how dangerous it was. You know, you don't necessarily want to have to do that because I think it's almost, it, it would probably take the family aspect out of the sport if people started dying left and right, because like Colton said, they wouldn't want to take a kid to an event like that. Right. Exactly. And last point I'll make here is my girlfriend, Cheyenne, love her to death. She's had a hard day today. Um, but she tells me, she's told me a couple times, like, Hey, when we go to the races, the local track, I want to see someone flip. I've never seen that before. I think it'd be cool. And I tell her all the time, like, that's just because you've never seen someone flip, right? So these fans are like, oh, I kind of want to see a bad wreck. I, you know, I, dangerous part of the appeal. Like, well, that's because you haven't seen someone die. Like, that's because you haven't seen someone paralyzed. You haven't seen this. You haven't seen that. Um, it's kind of one of those things that once you see it happen, you don't want to see it again. And I, I feel like a lot of the disconnect that we have with these younger drivers, um, mm -hmm. I don't know how old some of these guys are, but they couldn't have been more than my age coming in the chase Elliott's. I know he's my age, right. the Christopher bell. I know he's only a couple years older. They probably really don't remember it. Granted, Christopher bell deals with sprint cars and stuff like that. So he's been around it a lot more. And that's why his comments kind of pissed me off. Um, but the Mike McDowell, he benefited a ton from the COT safety with his record, Texas. Right. Um, right. 10 years before he would have been killed as soon as he hit that wall, he'd have been done. Um, and so that's why I kind of take a step back and say, well, are you sure? You know, because you you haven't really been around this a ton. Yeah, and I think yeah. the tough thing for me is that if you look at it from that perspective, you don't really want to see that because I think the atmosphere that NASCAR has sort of prided itself on would go out the window very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, like like you look at stories of drivers back in back in those older days when it wasn't really a safe sport at all. They would talk about, you know, hey, we don't want our kids to be at the racetrack. You know, we don't. Enzo Ferrari would say, hey, I don't want to get to know my drivers on a personal level because I know they're going to get killed anyways. You know, I don't want to form any bond with them because it's easier to lose them. Like, you don't yeah. want that to happen nowadays because it would almost lose everything the sports gained. Like, nowadays, you can go to a race and you can have a good time, whereas back then, or even, even in certain situations where you know it's not going to be safe going into it, you don't want to have to say, look, you know, this isn't something that a kid should be watching. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to name a farm animal 
because you get attached to it. You don't want to pick a favorite driver. You want to be able to get attached to something, I think. Bingo. If you, Bingo. If you knew going in that, hey, look, this isn't – you might not have a favorite driver in a couple of weeks, there would probably be a lot less people that are maybe my age or below that are into the sport. Yeah. Alex, yeah. what do you got? Um, you want attachment. Well, before, before I get into my stuff, uh, Jared, do you have anything uh, as far as this conversation? We just keep leaving you out, Jared. I'm sorry. No, no it's just because y'all keep talking over him. <laughs> Like he looks like he's about to go, and then you guys just start no, talking. But that that's all right. As long as I'm the conversation is good, I think we're all right. But Jared, no, do, you, do you have anything uh, as far as this? They basically covered everything. I was thinking, like you know, you don't really want to take your kid and watch you know people die left and right. Like that's just going to make them like, oh, I don't really want to be a race car driver or something. Like you look like we haven't had a death in twenty years, so everyone's like, as kids growing up, they're like, man, I think I could be a race car driver. It looks super safe. So. Uh, but you guys basically covered all the points I was thinking when it came to that subject. Right. Yeah, and I think there's a couple of books actually that I have that talk about that. Um, this one right here is from F1's former doctor that was in the medical car called. Um, oh, Sid Watkins. Yeah. On the limit. Yeah, Sid Watkins. Okay. Um, he's not alive anymore, but he has wrote a couple of books that are really good. Um, they're very interesting because he was one of the first people that was kind of instrumental in the safety revolution. He was one of the first people that was hired to do that, and. There's another one called Rapid Response. If you don't have the book, you can actually watch a documentary. I'm pretty sure it's available on most streaming services. You can just rent it for a couple of bucks or whatever. It, it talks about how back then it was crazy unorganized. And, you know, sometime down the line in the 80s, they're like, hey, maybe we should have doctors here. Or maybe we should have a safety team that knows what they're doing. You know, maybe we should have – maybe we should train these people. And eventually it goes through the progression to where racing is today. And if you look at that, I think that progression has a lot to do with racing being a fun sport because I think it's just more and more difficult. The harder, the more and more dangerous it is, the less and less family enjoyable it would be. Because if you go and ask any of these team members or doctors or drivers or anyone that actually worked on the safety teams, that kind of stuff, like, oh, yeah, like they wouldn't recommend their own kids to go to it for a while. And now it's like they basically worked so that they don't have to do this stuff again. Yeah. And and to that point, I will say um, the the Michael McDowell quotes kind of pissed me off. Um, when I go into a racetrack, do I want there to be crashes? No, I'm not that kind of fan. Do I understand that there are fans that go to races for crashes? Yes. Do I know that having 40 cars on a circular track are going to lead to crashes? Yes. Do I know that there are mechanical failures that I don't even know are going to happen happen to these cars that will cause crashes, whether it's a right front tire blowout or a brake explosion or just anything in between? I mean, we saw the gearbox get stuck in Juan Pablo Montoya go through the back end of a jet driver. Just anomalies like that. Do I know that these crashes are going to happen? Yes. Do I think about it? No. You want to know why? Because the, the drivers are safe in the cars that we have now. If I go to a racetrack and I think about the fact that someone could die today, I'm going to be a little bit less willing to go into that racetrack. And so when you tell me that we're in a sport that goes over 200 mile an hour, maybe not anymore, but we used to. Uh, a lot a lot more than we do now, at least. I can't look at a wreck like like Ryan Newman's wreck and think that 
he would have died without some of the safety features. We put that Newman bar in in 2003 because of his wreck at Daytona. We put another bar this year in after the wreck last year at Daytona. If you don't want to go to a racetrack after a accident that in a car that's safer for those particular set of circumstances, you're an idiot. I, I don't care that there's inherent danger in racing cars. If you're going 100 mile an hour, you could die. <laughs> like that that that's just a given. I can't stand the fact that someone would say, "Oh, that's it. That's what we do." I wouldn't do this if it wasn't dangerous. That's some bull fucking shit right there. I'm sorry. Um, when I go to a racetrack, of course there's inherent danger, but I don't think in the back of my mind. I think that I'm going to watch a good race. I don't think I'm yeah. going to watch someone die. And that, and that's my biggest my biggest thing. If I go watch a sprint car race, which I haven't had the enjoyment of doing other than um, some of the smaller tours, I haven't seen a 410 sprint car race. I know that there's a good possibility that someone's going to die. But it is so slim that I'm willing to take that risk, right? So when we have a Hans device come out um, and, and drivers are hesitant to do that, that's stupid in my point in my point of view. And that's what happened, and that's why we lost Dale Earnhardt. And, you know, if, if we got guys going out there that, like you said, smashed the wall and rolled down a hill in, in a COT that would have killed them if it was the generation before, saying that they're basically okay with dying – that, that's ridiculous. You don't do that to your family. You don't do that to your friends. And you don't do that to your fans. You don't do that to the people know, that put money to put you into that car. I, it, it might happen. It might happen every time you strap in. But do not sit there and say out loud, huh, it's dangerous. Somebody could die. Oh, well, that's 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 soulless to me. Yep. Right. And I think part of it that I guess part of it from my perspective is, you know, it's never gonna be safe, but I do, th I do agree with what you're saying that it's probably not the smartest thing to say. Um, but you know, it is, it is, it's kind of sad that it is part of it. I think the one thing that really made me think is that people say that we don't think about what could happen because it doesn't happen. I think that kind of leads to some of the boneheaded driving that you've been seeing lately at Daytona Talladega with the blocks. They know that they're probably not going to get hurt, so they don't drive like it. And I think, you kind of see that nowadays. You see, like, ah, that's that's what Hamlin was upset at Logano with Fontana in 2013. He's like, hey, he Joey drove like he couldn't hurt me, and he ended up hurting me because he didn't think he could. And it's and like, he yeah, guys. people these days that actually know the consequences of it. So it almost it almost is kind of humbling because you think about it any time. It's like I could get in my road car and go on the highway and I might not come back. You know, that's just, that's just, it's unavoidable. It's life. But if you look at it from that perspective, it's interesting because it's almost, it, that almost goes to show you that there've been drivers and people in the sport that they don't necessarily understand the consequences enough to really think before they're saying or think before they're doing. And I think that's probably just another case of that. Right. And to the McDowell's comment, I, I mentioned this in our group chat that we have for yeah. Fanfield, um, saying that oh, racing's dangerous. You know, it, it. You know, if I'm safer in the stands than I am in the car, then or you know, if I'm safe, just as safe in the car as I am in the stands, then I wouldn't be a driver. Like maybe we don't need you as a driver, dude. Like sorry, um, that's like going back in the '50s and saying, well, if flying was, you know, if flying wasn't dangerous, people wouldn't drive. It, it's kind of a lot the same to me. Um, 
I mean, I saw Chairgating, uh, not Chairgating, Rattlesnake bring up the point in one of my mentions that, you know, well, you know, bull riding's dangerous. Okay, I don't watch bull riding. I go to rodeos every single year. I go to the world's largest outdoor rodeo. I leave when bull riding comes on because I don't want to fucking see that. I know there's tons of people that go to see that, but I know tons of people that are in the arena that empty the arena when it happens. And I know damn well the same thing's going to happen with racing. Um, right. You know, and it, it it's dangerous. It is. Um, but, I mean, wants to see someone when, when, I, when I hear someone say, like Chase Elliott, like I'm going to drive whether it's safe or not, that brings me back to Labonte in 2000 right after uh, Kenny Irwin was killed, that I'm going to drive whether it's safe or not. Guess what happened that next February? We lost our biggest icon in the sport, and everyone started right. paying attention to it, right? And, and I, think- I, almost, I almost feel like we're either on the verge of a strike or we're going to be in that same boat of something's going to happen and it's going to make all these drivers aware of, oh, shit, this really can happen to anyone, not just the Tony Ropers, not just the Adam Petties, the young kids, right, the Kenny Irwins. This can happen to anyone. Right. Um, and I think – that's what I think a lot of these drivers don't get is it's not going to be BJ McLeod. It's not going to be Quinn Huff. It's going to be everybody. It's going to be a Denny Hamlin. Think, it's going to be a Kevin Harvick. It's right. going to be someone like that that changes the sport around right. because they got hurt. And when I think of Denny's interview, to your point, Nate, um, after the Logano wreck at Fontana, um, Denny was emotional after that when he goes to his interview and says, right. he hurt me. You know, He knew what right. he was doing, and he did it anyway. And I think of that with NASCAR in this next-gen car. If it is as rigid as the rumors let out to be, NASCAR NASCAR hurt me, you know, and that's that's right. what I think for the fan. And I think – let me preface, I guess, before I say anything. I think if I would try to say this in, like, the, the smartest way I could, you know, just because I am okay with the dangers of racing doesn't necessarily mean that I want to be a part of the dangers of racing, you know? Like, say, like, whatever – you know, hey, I'm fine racing what I am now, but, you know, maybe next year I'll be in a shifter car that doesn't have a seatbelt. It doesn't have a net collar. It doesn't have any of that stuff. It doesn't even have a roll bar. And, you know, am I okay with getting hurt in it? Yeah, I signed up for it. Like, that's that's part of it. You know, I can't really – if I – do I like it? Absolutely not. Like, every time that I were to get into something that I know is fast, that I know has danger in it, you know, when I – the faster things that I get into – that they, they don't have any of the safety comforts that you would normally want. I don't necessarily like that. I don't think I would say that, you know, I don't really care. You know, I could get into something that goes a lot quicker than what I would normally drive and not have those things. And I would probably say, am, you know, am I okay with getting hurt? Probably because I know that I'm taking a little bit of a risk by signing up for this, but at the same time, I don't necessarily enjoy the danger aspect of racing. I never really have. Um, I do think about it every time I get into something that I might be in a little over my head, whether it's a 206 card or it's something maybe next year that I'll be driving that goes three times as fast. I do think about that stuff and I'm like, man, I really don't want to die, but there's nothing I can do about it. So I think the best way to put it is even if you are okay with that risk, you should still not want to have to go through that. You should never have to say, you know, Oh, well to those kind of things. Like it's one thing to accept the risk. I mean, every driver does whether they like it or not, even the most outspoken drivers that are all for safety, they still risk. I don't think McDowell is any different in that regard. I think it's the fact that what he's saying is that he doesn't necessarily care if he gets hurt or dies 
I wouldn't necessarily go that far. Like no matter how far I go in racing, I wouldn't necessarily yeah. say that. Like I, I just don't, I don't necessarily enjoy the fact that I could get hurt. I just, I just have to step it up. Like I don't, I would never say that I don't care if I die like that. I don't know if I go that far. Yeah. So the problem with that comment to me is that doesn't just affect Michael McDowell. Right. That affects Michael McDowell's family. That affects Michael McDowell's friends and fans and supporters. Right. But not only does that affect those people from Michael McDowell, it affects every other one of the 39 drivers that he's racing right. with. Because if he's got the ability to die, well, guess what? They do too. And so now you're talking about 40 people with 40 families, with 40 mm-hmm. extended friend circles, with 40 support groups from a technical and sponsorship roles and 40 groups of fans. And so now you're not just affecting one singular person, you're affecting millions. We have millions of people that put forth effort to this sport, whether that's someone who drives a car, puts a tire on a car, supports a driver as a wife, or is sitting on their ass in their bedroom right now talking on a podcast. Right, and I agree with that. Because what you were saying is that it's a family sport, and I think that, the more dangerous you go, the less willing family members would be to want their family member to participate in any racing activity. Because I I remember having this talk when I was like 12 years old and first starting to go, Kristen, I was like, you know, I was like, hey, are you guys going to let me do this? And I remember like my mom and grandparents were kind of, they were thinking of that, like they were the, the biggest against it. And I kind of had to tell them like, hey, look, this is, the sport's gotten a lot safer. It's it's getting better. It's not like I'm I'm not I'm not going to guarantee you that I'm going to be okay. But I, I, there is a decent chance that I'll be okay. Like I'll be safer than you would think. But that doesn't. But all of a sudden, if people started dying, then I don't know if they would they would let me do something like that. Um, I think from that standpoint, like I remember them saying, "Hey, you know." What about why don't you do car racing? Isn't that safer than go karts? And I'm like, well, I don't have the money to race cars, so I technically will be racing something that's probably way more dangerous than I would want it to be. But I don't really have any other choice because I don't I don't have right. the money to go yeah. race a car. Well, we are now uh, two hours and ten minutes into this. This has been uh, our longest show ever. Uh, we're kind of ending on somewhat of a somber note. Um, but I appreciate all of you who have been watching, who's been listening. Uh, maybe you've had us on in the background or, or, or not. Um, we're going to do picks on Twitter. Uh, we're going to go ahead and sign off today. I want you guys to, to think of of your, your, your favorite drivers, their families. And in this time where we could really see something really bad happen, um, try and, 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 and get in on the, on the boat. Let's get NASCAR opening up about safety of this next gen car. And let's do what we can as fans to, uh, prevent anything from happening to our, our favorite warriors on Sunday. Um, and with that, um, does any of you, uh, do any of you have anything to say as a final thought? Yeah, I got a, a quick shout out. Um, I saw him comment here, uh, three B hall commented. He commented on my hat. I know Jared, you gotta go. Um, B Hall's a friend of mine. He runs the Scrubbing Tires podcast, so I wanted to give him a shout out. Um, he's probably working on a Grand American Modified right now as we speak with his buddy. Um, so thank you, Hal. Thank you for chiming in, Brand- uh, Brandon. Um, thank you, Dakota, and everyone else for chiming in. I know we saw May leave a comment here as well. Um, this is a long show, but we had a ton to unpack, so thank you guys. Right. 
Yep, thanks to uh, all our followers for following us along. Like this is the longest show I've ever been a part of, and I think yeah, we got um, a lot. <laughs> I think we got a lot of topics like covered, and I think it's definitely up, like we picked each other's brains on the different subjects, and it just it's just yeah. crazy how like it's really good for us, like us podcasters and stuff. Cause like this is the stuff you see on Race Hub or whatever, because like, they're just talking Absolutely. about like the upcoming week or stuff like not like this. So I think that adds our value. If you want to hear fans' opinions, check us out. So. Yeah, I would agree. Um, that's probably the most I think I've ever talked in a year. <laughs> I'm usually not a talker. If you catch me in real life on, you know, some that doesn't have to do with racing. So um, if you ever meet me in person, um, you might be disappointed. I don't normally talk as much. Yeah. So um, we had fun this, uh, the beginning of this podcast, uh, delved into some really important stuff. Um, and, you know, like I said, a little bit somber note to end on. Um, but it, it was a very in-depth and good discussion, and I think it needed to be said. Um, and um, if you are listening, you know, uh, help us out, uh, retweet this, and and get, get some of the words out. Let, let's get some of those guys that, that watched the video that Nathan, Nathan posted and uh, get them in on, on this conversation. I know it's a two-hour and probably 15-minute long um, episode of, of Fan Fuel, but um, this one this one was – it really Perfect. was fueled by fans. Like yeah. um, we needed to have this conversation. I think all of us needed to debrief a little bit after um, yelling at each other and with other fans on Twitter over the repave, the safety issues and everything. So um, appreciate you listening this far. We'll see you next week. Um, we'll probably be streaming again. Um, thank you, Jared, for coming on. Thanks for the help yeah. lately with uh, all the digital stuff. Uh, we, of course, do have a lot more coming down the line with you. Um, and go check him out on his podcast, uh, the Force Gear uh, podcast. Um, and we'll let you know um, what's going on uh, soon. Just just know that uh, the playoffs are coming, and so are we. Um, so we'll uh, see you guys next time. Thanks for listening, as always. All right. Bye.